does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You know, there's a lot of people in the league that you talk to with, with uh, you know, again, GMs and head coaches that just feel like Will Levis is a good fit there with them. You know, the, the stuff that Will Levis can do athletically is intriguing with what, you know, you have a coach and, and Shane Steichen who's been able to, you know, work with a Jalen Hurts and then even Herbert, his ability to move around a little bit. I think Will Levis is further along in his journey and his development. He might not have as much upside as, as Richardson, but I think, you know, tomorrow he's going to be ahead of Anthony Richardson with this Colts roster where it is right now. There's some pretty good veteran pieces in place. I think there's some expectation there um, that you want this guy to be up and running sooner than later. I'm Brian. No, he's Jimmy cook. Welcome in here. 93, five and one Oh seven, five, the fan, man. It's almost like Eddie Garrison, just grab that audio specifically for me. That's how it felt with Daniel <laughs> Jeremiah of NFL Media singing the praises of one Will Levis maybe falling to the Colts at number four. I'm just surprised there wasn't Slayer underneath <laughs> that sound from Daniel <laughs> Jeremiah right there, but very well done. Is there a reason he should be bribing you today? I don't, I don't understand. What's going on here? Is, is Eddie, Eddie trying to mooch up to you for some unknown reason? Is that what's happening? No, I don't think so at all. It just <laughs> sort of happened unless, I, I don't know, there's something else that I'm missing over here. But <laughs> what did you think about that? It's funny. We should be able to agree on this. I think Will Levis is the most disagreed about player in this NFL draft where you do get some people saying positive things. I think more times than not, it's been negative, but I don't hear opinions differ as much with another player as we do with Will Levis. I would agree with that. I would say to that end, he's the probably the most polarizing quarterback available of the four. And it's funny as we've had, you know, our rotating pool of draft analysts trying to get a feel for what the best option is for the Colts, what they might do. Obviously, we're going to talk to Dane Brugler in a bit of the athletic at the top of the hour for a more in-depth look at his beast guy that he did last week and then how he's mocked it out for all 32 teams over the course of his seven-round mock he did earlier this week. But for Levis, the more we talk to people as they get further away from speculation season... They're willing to highlight his negatives, but I felt like the last couple of guys, Daniel Jeremiah there included, have been more open to the idea that, yes, he can make it in the NFL. That They've been less harsh. Is that the right word? Have you gotten that same vibe, at least from the the people that we've talked to over the last couple of days? Yeah, I mean... Maybe not nationally, right? But I think of who we talked to. Yeah, it's completely a mixed bag because you will get some national people that are just crushing Will Levis. And you'll get some people that are positive. So I, I think it's a total mixed bag. But more times than not, the person that is saying something positive is like, oh, wow, well, this is a different perspective. You know what I mean? Right. right, right. <laughs> it's just sort of how it sounds. And something else, if we're talking QBs and we're talking the upcoming draft, less, 
Less than a week away here, Jimmy. Less than one week away. <laughs> and I cannot wait. We're gonna, both going to be on the same page when old Dane Brugler, you just mentioned him, he's going to be on here at 1 o'clock. And he's got the beast, the ultimate draft guide, puts all sorts of blood, sweat, and tears into that thing. So be really interested to hear what his perspective is. He dives deep. Hopefully he's got a positive view on Will Levis. <laughs> we'll see about that. But But right now... The buzz is that it's all about these S2 scores. Have you heard about this? So it's a new test. They've done it for a little while in the NFL. But it's all about how quickly you process things. And so depending on the position in the NFL, obviously a a very important type of test. And apparently C.J. Stroud scored not the greatest, not the greatest. On the way up, Bryce Young Will the Thrill Levis and get Jake Hayner out of Fresno State. Listen, it's going to vary from team by team who puts how much stock into a test like this. But if you're thinking about quarterbacks, processing information as quickly as possible is obviously very, very important. And the test, it's sort of like it's just it tests your cognitive recognition, just how quickly you process stuff. I, I heard it described where they might show a screen. And you're supposed to pick out the diamond shape. And it just sort of flashes on the screen. And without really thinking of it, you're just reacting. You're reacting to stuff. And so there are a lot of teams that put stock into this when it comes to the quarterback position. And we know Bryce Young's score was off the charts. C.J. Stroud, not so much. And that might be the reason why you're seeing in these mock drafts and some of the buzz that he might be slipping a bit. For me... That would go a long way, and I'm saying it's going to like make me have an overvaluation here, but those type of tests, I think about just the way they take these prospects through of how their mind can adjust and adapt. It's different, obviously, than you know, a cognitive test like that versus being against NFL linemen and blitzers that are coming after you yeah. and being able to make a decision. It's wildly different, but if you are able to at least do well on the one side of it, that would boost my confidence that, okay, I can trust your decision-making a little bit more. That, that I'm going to say it, Brian. I am impressed. That is a positive to hear that Will Levis is right amongst the top in terms of a cognitive test like that. I'm not saying like it totally shifts mm-hmm. me to, eh, well, he's you know the can't-miss prospect of the draft necessarily, but that, that is a positive for me. I like to see that. I would rather you have a good score on a test like that versus an absolutely horrific score. It's almost as if... His lack of talent at Kentucky <laughs> might have factored into not processing things as quickly. I, I'm almost prone to to think that. If you gave me a cognitive test, if you give me the S2 and it was Will Levis related, I, I'm thinking those two things might be related to one <laughs> another, Jimmy Cook. What do you think about that? I think I've made it clear to you that I, unlike some, am not willing to say, ah, it doesn't matter at all. He went to Kentucky. He wasn't good enough to go anywhere else. Like, I don't disagree with you that more talent helps, but the biggest knock on him from the scouting reports has been his decision-making and his processing. And to your overall point there, well, if you have better weapons, you can process things better. Definitely mm-hmm. helps. Now, when you're going up against NFL-level corners and NFL-level defenses, if you're still not able to read exotic packages, you're still not able to pick up the blitz and get rid of the ball in a timely fashion... It helps, but it's not going to matter as much as it could have if you have a better baseline as a quarterback. That being said, when I see 
oh, he's not actually just somebody that holds on to the ball too long and just doesn't read things well. When I see that he's doing well on the cognitive basis and on those baselines, that gives me more hope for if, and I think we're approaching inevitability at this point based on Daniel Jeremiah's comments yesterday, based on just the way that the betting odds are shifting. I think if the Colts stand pat at four, Will Levis is going to be the selection at four. I think that's who's going to be there for them. I think that's who they're going to take. And while I would rather have one of the other three, if you're a Colts fan trying to talk yourself into it, you need positives like this. You do. You need something to be able to buy into. And a high score like that right up there with Bryce Young, who's supposed to be able to read defenses and process things at a rate that is the highest of this class, Will Levis right behind him is a positive for me. I think we have to work on your Levis positivity over here. You know, <laughs> we got to work on it. I've been doing my uh, due diligence in this department over here. Apparently I have more work to be done because it's just it's little comments like, well, if, uh, you know, Levis among the other of the four top guys, I'd rather have all of the other guys except for Levis. You know what I mean? Like we got we got to ratchet up the Levis positivity here, Jimmy. I gave him Somewhat of a backhanded compliment. That's going to count for something, right? That's growth. <laughs> I guess. I guess so, man. But uh, yeah, that's where we stand. Again, uh, Dane Brugler at 1 o'clock. Both Jimmy and I are giddy about that. Should be a lot of fun. So we'll have the draft covered. Not necessarily from end to end, but end to end on the top quarterbacks. How about that? <laughs> Those Brinkley and some other stuff as well. How about this? There's a, a new report just came out. So Detroit Lions wide receiver Jamison Williams and four other players, they're suspended for violating the NFL's gambling policy. So Jamison Williams, he'll receive six games. Think about this. This is the Alabama receiver. He tore his ACL in the national championship game a couple of seasons ago against Georgia. He goes 12th overall to the Detroit Lions. He had to sit for most of the season because he's rehabbing his ACL. He comes back toward the end of the season, shows some flashes. Had a really nice game against the Minnesota Vikings, shows some potential, and all of a sudden, he's gone for the first six games because he's gambling. Now, my first question is, and we got to do a little bit more digging on this, what type of gambling was it? Right. Was it sports betting? Because I immediately think of Calvin Ridley, who was suspended for all of last season. So I want to see if this is a, a different version. Is he betting on sports but not football? Like, how does it differ from Calvin Ridley getting an entire season when Jamison Williams just gets six games? The statement that the NFL released, and I, forgive me, I'm still trying to process it in front of me because I had it and now it's gone, but they basically mentioned in that statement, Eddie and I were reviewing it before the show, that for... The, not Jamison Williams, but for the other two wide receivers that were suspended for an entire year, it was because they bet on NFL games. That was the concept there. They were very vague in terms of what Jamison mm. Williams and the other receiver or other player were betting on that got six games each. They basically made it seem like that they were betting on something, but it was either in like an NFL like club area or an NFL complex or a practice facility because they go on to say that's not allowed in any of NFL properties to be betting on anything. So I don't think it was football for the two that got six games. Mm -hmm. I think that's the line in the sand they're drawing on. If you're betting on football, you're you're toast. You're going to sit out right. a year and then apply for reinstatement. Yeah, I, that would be my assumption as well, is that these dudes that just got docked, they were not betting on football. Because I don't know how you could suspend Calvin Ridley for an entire season for betting on football. And then not 
like suspend these other dudes for an entire season if they were also betting on football. So I'd have to assume it differs. Otherwise, it just wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, they don't list it. So here's how it flows. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they mentioned, and I apologize for the butchering of names here, Quintus Cephas and C.J. Moore of the Detroit Lions and uh, Chikatoni of the Washington Commanders are suspended indefinitely. I apologize. I have no idea if that's even close. <laughs> Sorry. Quintus Cephas. Cephas. Sorry, Cephas. Gosh, yeah. I apologize. I, this is just, just the, the crown I'm wearing today. Uh, so they're suspended at the conclusion <laughs> of the 2023 season. Tell me you're a casual season. NFL fan. Do not tell me you're a casual <laughs> NFL fan. For betting on NFL games of the 2022 seasons, they're done. They're done until 2023. They can appeal for reinstatement after 2023 is over. Stanley Burial and Jamison Williams and Lions are suspended for the team's first six regular season games of the 2023 season. These players are eligible to participate in all offseason and preseason activities, including preseason games. Suspension will take effect at the final roster cutdown. That's it. That's all they say. Then they dive in another paragraph about the gambling policy, which is annually reviewed with all NFL personnel, including players, prohibits anyone in the NFL from engaging in any form of gambling in any club or league facility or venue including the practice facility. So no clear definition for Barry Owen Williams as to what they bet on. It just seems like it wasn't NFL games, considering the way those paragraphs are constructed. Okay, so it's possible, and we don't have specifics here, that the players banned indefinitely that might have been football-related. I, I, I don't know if that's the case or not, uh, but it sounds like Jamison Williams and the anybody else that got a six-game, like a set suspension, yeah. it was not football betting. That's my best guess as to what's going on here. But let's go by what we know instead of just speculation. What are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing violating the policy? They're going to find out. You know what I mean? Like Calvin Ridley was just completely lazy where it's like, dude, if you're going to do this, at least hide your tracks. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't go into the bank and say, hey, give me all your money without a mask on. You know what I mean? Right. Like, come on. (laughs) He had just a, a normal account. He opened an account just on his own. He didn't have a guy tell a guy, hey, these are my picks. And hide his tracks that way. It's where are your like, fall what, guys? Where, where, where are fall guys at? Come on now. We got we got to be, what we we be better than that. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, if you're going to do it, yeah. at least do it in a way where you're probably going to get away with it. We're talking sports gambling here. I, yeah. I'm not talking about, you know, committing felonies and stuff like that. Robbing but, a Brinks truck. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> doing real crime. But if you're going to do some sports betting and you know it's against the NFL's policy, and you know Calvin Ridley just was docked for an entire season. Like, what are you what are you doing right now? It's That's, al- it's almost inexcusable. It really is. Like I, I just I don't know. The NFL games I just can't I can't wrap my head around because you saw exactly what you mentioned. You saw it play out for Calvin Ridley last year. You saw him be the butt of all the jokes, the laughing stock, and you know, sit out an entire season and now he's obviously been reinstated, but just a wild path and choice of actions by NFL players to continue to try to toe this line, whether it's ignorance or just outright stupidity. I don't know, but you can't possibly have not known about the Calvin Ridley suspension. Like, there's right. no way you're not aware of that. And even if you weren't at the time of the news broke, there's no way there aren't team PR meetings. Like, hey, guys, after practice today at 12, we're going to talk about be- betting ethics in the NFL. We're going to have a nice seminar on it. There's no way that that is not happening within these clubs. Yeah, no doubt. And that's the thing is you're looking for consistency. Right. Like you got to have consistent punishments to hopefully get players to follow whatever policy you have. 
And, uh, you know, you have gambling in the NFL and all these sports leagues where you got to have consistent punishments. I also think we're watching the NBA playoffs here, Jimmy. You got to have consistency when it comes to punishments, whether it's a flagrant two foul or it's a suspension. (laughs) You had Draymond Green a couple of nights ago get ejected for stomping on Sabonis, and then he was suspended for last night's game three. Fine. Okay. Some people thought it was excessive, but he's got a past. And that's what went into it. Last night, Joel Embiid kicks a Brooklyn Nets player, Nick Claxton, in the man zone, in the junk. He doesn't even get ejected in the game. That's unbelievable. He's got to be suspended for game four. You can't kick a man in the junk and not get the gate. That was crazy. But that's what I'm talking about. You got to be consistent, whether it's a gambling policy, whether it's NBA players doing something improper on the court. You just have to. Well, and then you go further within that same game, and James Harden with a little push off action. Yeah. Same, same, same same area in terms of where the push off happened, right there in the junk, and he only or he gets tossed, which like I don't know. They debated it a number of times at halftime on Inside the NBA last night, and I kind of took away what their consensus was, which I didn't think Harden should have been ejected for that, but I absolutely think Joel Embiid should have been for the kick. So it was just back-to-back, same game, same officiating crew, just two head-scratching decisions at minimum, to say the least. Yeah, it was strange. Um, If we bring the NBA talk to the uh, Pacers level over here, Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this, Jimmy. Be as objective as possible, and I know you are. Who's a better troll? Okay, is it Dylan Brooks with what we just saw him <laughs> say? I don't care. LeBron's old. I poke bears. You know, just talking smack about King James, or is it Lance Stevenson? <laughs> right when he was blowing in LeBron's ear when LeBron was with the Miami Heat. Like, who's a better troll, Stevenson or Dylan Brooks? This might be the. I don't know if this is the right or the wrong answer, but I'm glad you brought this up because I texted a buddy yesterday who sent me some of the quotes from Dylan Brooks yesterday. Some absolutely wild quotes from Dylan Brooks, by the way. We're talking about how basically like, uh, you know, the famous line about MJ. Oh, that's that that's number 45. That's not Michael Jordan saying, oh, this isn't Miami LeBron or Cleveland LeBron. This is a whole different guy. Uh, I called Dylan Brooks Dollar Tree Lance Stevenson. Um, and here's why, because I feel like at least during the course of those two series, when those people, when those uh, you know teams met in the Pacers and the Heat, there was real bad blood, real just animosity towards both those franchises. And I also felt like for the most part, Lance backed it up. Dylan Brooks is getting absolutely cooked by LeBron James to this point when they're one on one together. He's I think he had 26 points in game two or game three, whatever it was the other night shooting like 45% from the field. He's getting torched, but he's running his mouth because he's Dollar Tree Lance Stevenson. That, that, that's my avenue with it. So wow. I'm going to give the nod to Lance. Wow. Listen to you. Now, I'm, I'm disagreeing with you on okay. this one. Right. A couple of things. If you look at Dylan Brooks, crack research over here. Yes. When he was the, like he defended LeBron, like he ended the possession defending LeBron. The Lakers as a team were four for 17 from the field. So LeBron's scoring, but most of the time it's not against Dylan Brooks. And the Lakers, as a team, they were not functioning very well when old D. Brooks was on LeBron, at least in game two. Okay, but, you know, Dylan Brooks running his mouth, that's what he does. Like you said, he pokes bears. I also think this, though, too, Jimmy, is 
Dylan Brooks have, has done this for a while. It's with the Warriors. He's gone back and forth with Draymond Green. So he's had bad blood with other players in the NBA. Can you, and I could be wrong about this. Was there anybody else on Lance Stevenson's hit list? Like he blew, he blew in LeBron's ear. Was there anything else where he went back and forth with another team, some opposing players, or was mainly just a LeBron thing? The, the, the main chapter and verse of it was LeBron, and that's why I view him as the superior aspect. I think Dylan Brooks is just trying to pick fights and start rivalries that aren't there. Because I hate to say this, I do, because I really like John Morant, and I want the best for Memphis, but I need the Grizzlies if Dylan Brooks is going to continue to be your, you know, just aggressor of these series, I need them to go do something with it. I need them to have success of some certain level where you're like, okay, I get what this guy's doing. That's fine. He's picking fights with the defending champs. He's picking fights with a four-time champion. And by the way, I don't even know what the number is. Lock, absolute lock. Maybe my lock of the year. Whatever mm-hmm. LeBron's over Ooh. is tonight, I want that. I want all of it. Give me all of it. <laughs> I love it. We're going to have to check that out real fast. I'll get you a line here. It's probably, you know, around 27 and a half or something like that. But I, I'll get you some particulars well, here. Well, he, he needs Cook. to put up what he'd say. He'd say 40 or 60 is what Dylan Brooke needs to see from LeBron 40, to get respect. 40. He needs a 40-burger to get the yeah. respect. Okay, He I needs understand. 40. Yep. Yeah. Let's hear from old Del- Dylan Brooks here. I love this. You and LeBron have that exchange. There are people out there that say maybe maybe you shouldn't do that with one of the better players in the game. What, I guess what what were you thinking? About? I don't care. He's old. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, I poke bears. I don't respect no one until they come and give me forty. Um, so um, I pride myself on you know, what I do is defense and taking on any challenge that's on the board. Yeah, I do love the laugh too. By the way. <laughs> From the reporter, that's tremendous here. (laughs) I don't care he's old. I don't care he's old. (laughs) Here's the thing. I'll break the tie. And uh, it's, it's Team Brooks here. Better troll. Because think of this. What's the reaction to the trolling? Okay? The infamous blow in the ear from Lance Stevenson... LeBron laughed. He got a smile out of him. He yep. smirked. Yep. You know, it was just like, what? With Dylan Brooks, LeBron is running him down, talking smack, getting into his face. Like, Dylan Brooks is the better troll because of the reaction of who he's trolling. You know what I'm saying? And with Lance Stevenson, don't get me wrong, he was a good troll, but he was a lovable troll. He was a guy that you're like, that's kind of fun. He's doing the the air guitar. Like Lance was just fun as a troll, and he would get under uh, other, you know, like opponents' skin from time to time. Don't get me wrong, but not like Dylan Brooks. I'll put it this way: if these guys are pro wrestlers, Dylan Brooks and Lance Stevenson, you're booing. Dylan Brooks louder. <laughs> you just believe it more like he is this character. I hate this guy. Like he just has the troll factor. If it's a Madden rating, his troll factor is higher, I think, than than Lance Stevenson. Here's why I dock Brooks. It's not just like the on the court stuff because it is what it is, right? Like I chuckled and laughed, even though the you know Grizzlies obviously ended up winning that game when the Lakers go on like an eight zero run. Like you mentioned, LeBron's kind of barking at him a little bit, and then Brooks is like clapping as they're going to the timeout, and it's like just from that point, it's like okay, they just went on like a six or eight zero run. This is now like an eight point game. 
I appreciate you going down with the ship there, Dylan, and still clapping in LeBron's face, but really, like, time and a place for it, I would say. It didn't matter. Again, they won. Is what it is. I'll, I'll wash the hands of it and move on to my other point. I don't remember, and maybe it makes him a troll, or maybe it makes him a moron. The idea of, in a press conference, just the absolute, whether you want to call it, call it confidence or arrogance, but to be like, oh, he's old. You got to drop 40 on me to be able to get my respect. It's minus 115 at over 28 and a half. Uh-huh. Lock it in. Lock, Lock it, it in, in right now. LeBron Don't even have drops to, 29, to worry no about doubt. It. Yes, yes. And if it goes up, don't worry about it. I would save that up to about 35. I'm expecting big things tonight. I really am. How about the alternate line? You know, the heck with it. <laughs> get the at least 30 plus going. What about 35 plus? Would you even think about that? <laughs> what, what, hey, what can we talk hey, you into here? Hey, and listen. Oh, if you if you really want to play with fire, and I'm I look, I I want to have the lock where it is. With the lock is over twenty eight and a half. That that that's your juice. But if you want a little bit of plus money, I think he gets thirty plus tonight. I think he puts a thirty burger. That's plus one hundred five. If you want to take the Dylan Brooks mantra of it though, and you think that again, I don't see this happening for a number of different reasons. Not that I don't think he could do it. I just think Anthony Davis is also going to have his contributions tonight too, and you don't need 40 from LeBron, but if he decides, hey, I'm going to go get 40 plus 650 tonight for LeBron James to get 40 plus. So if you'd like to go into that ring, you can. Mm. Only reason I'm not is because I feel like there's going to be enough supporting cast help where he's not having to go get 40. And at this point in his career, LeBron's not going to just go get 40 if he has 35 with two minutes to go in a series that is, you know, currently tied at a game apiece to make a statement like he, he doesn't need to do that it's an enticing line i just hope that lions receiver jameson williams is not taking the <laughs> over or anything on this one but uh, how about this you love some juice from time to time jimmy you're not afraid to lay the the juice which is it's just basically a tax so think about this the first quarter i'm looking at it right now Uh oh lebron james the total in the first quarter is five and a half points is LeBron, after all this stuff, this back and forth and Dylan Brooks poking the bear, is LeBron not going to have three buckets in the first quarter? The over is minus 140. So you'd have to, for the people out there, you'd have to risk $140 to win $100. Right. You don't have to. You could risk 20 bucks to win a little bit less than that. Sure. Right? You could do that, but what do you think about that? Minus 140 LBJ goes for at least six first quarter points tonight. I don't hate that, but I guess for me, I could see it going the other way. Uh-huh. This is something that LeBron likes to do, whether it's getting his players involved early. I would love a statement from him right out of the gate, but that's why I would kind of stray away from that. I feel like oftentimes, particularly to start a playoff game, you're seeing him be a little bit more passive, trying to get somebody like Anthony Davis, something like Rui Hachimura involved. So I don't have as much confidence in that as I do the 28 and a half. Also, the 28 and a half is better juice. Like I said, it's minus 115 in terms of where you're arguing there. One quarter of play versus a whole game for LeBron to get over 28 and a half. So, okay. You taking the over on the game. Yeah. I hear you. Yep. All right. We got a lot to do today. Lots going on. We will get to uh, players weighing in across the league Very, very interesting in a player poll that was recently conducted. Also coming up next, um, a mock draft gone wrong. 
<laughs> but it is entertaining. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So... We've had a steady diet of NFL mock drafts for literally months now, Jimmy. And, uh, you know, there's a, a typical order, at least at the top of the draft, that's commonly believed to be the case. Not so much with our guy Maurice Jones-Drew. <laughs> so former <laughs> NFL running back, now with NFL Network, does a very good job. But he has done his one and only mock draft and uh, the order is a bit different. Some some would say it's in an effort blatantly to get some clicks and gain some attention. Uh, I would be one of those people. <laughs> I would be one of those people. But uh, give us a glimpse here, Jay Cook, at the top five, according to Maurice Jones-Drew. And let's play a little game of, does he really believe that? Or is he just trying to stand out and stir the pot a little bit? All right, let's go. So first, number one overall, Carolina Panthers. They take Anthony Richardson mm. at number one. Mm-hmm. Leads into Frank Reich's glowing review of Richardson last month. Even before the combine, watching his tape, there are plays and throws all over the tape that scream top of the draft pick. So that's, that's where MJD kind of, without going too much into his opinion, likes happening at one. <laughs> number two. <laughs> We've had a ton of discussions about the Houston Texans this week. This is me, not uh, MJD talking. And the thought was, hey, Bryce Young, he's back available. That's what they're going to take, right? Right? No, not right. MJD says the Houston Texans take C.J. Stroud with the second overall pick. Mm, Mainly because of the size, he says. That'll steer the Texans more toward the former Buckeye. So maybe that's something you agree with there. I feel feel like like your eyebrows might have perked up a little bit there. I do like that he's questioning that, but I still don't think that's the way it's going to play out. Okay, what about three? Then pick number three. Colts are at four right now, but wait! Not so fast. They trade up with the Arizona Cardinals, and they take Bryce Young. You like that? You like that? <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So we would get a heavy dose of. <laughs> yeah. The guy's yeah. a winner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And then uh, Cardinals are at four and they take Tyree Wilson there. That is your Ooh. top four selections for one MJD in the top four of the NFL draft. Wow. So here's the thing. I think that's crazy, but where I would at least leave the door cracked is I'm trying to figure out in what area or areas at the top of the draft will the real NFL draft differ from what's commonly believed in these mock drafts. You know, you go right. from person to person to person, Dane Brugler, Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, whoever, right? And there's a, a common order of, hey, it's probably going to be Bryce Young, number one, to Carolina. That seems set in stone. And then from there, it's not outlandish. You know what I mean? You might get a little bit of movement from person to person, but it's typically not outlandish. Like, whoa, I've never seen anybody with that. But that doesn't mean that's the way it's going to play out, Jimmy. You know, So I'm trying to figure out where the actual draft is going to differ 
greatly from what's commonly believed because it typically does. And it's driving me crazy to try to figure out where it's going to be. Well, I also like to do that same exercise, but compare it with those mocks that have been made. And while I do think, just like you, that Maurice Jones drew, and he kind of gives it away a little bit at the top, is doing this just for you know clicks and engagement and conversation. He said it's his only draft mock draft of the year. I'm sure my projection of the first round will raise some eyebrows, <laughs> so I won't hold you up any longer. And that's where we dive in to his action. But you look at where maybe he could be right. Not if the Panthers take Anthony Richardson, but if it is set in stone, factual, Vegas has it locked up, Panthers take Bryce Young, then maybe he's right with C.J. Stroud at two to the Texans. Like, I, I, I could still see that happening despite all the talks we've had where it appears it was Bryce Young and nobody else for them. Like, I could see a curveball like that happening where it's Stroud at two, even though it's not maybe a massive curveball. It could be compared to what we've heard over the last week. The Colts trading up to three would surprise me because at that point, Bryce Young is likely not there by the national consensus. So they are then getting their pick of Levis and Richardson, but they've said the whole time, we feel like our guy's going to be there for us. So that that would still surprise me, even if they traded up with the Cardinals. And then taking Tyree Wilson over Will Anderson Jr. surprises me a little bit in this mock draft from Maurice Jones. Right, right. But like you mentioned, there's going to be curveballs. And once you get out of, once you get out of quarterback land, and I mean like once those three quarterbacks go off the board, assuming they do go off the board in the first four. That's where the chaos really happens for me at this point, at least without a massive trade up happening in the top three. I just think this is a massive game of Texas Hold'em. Oh yeah. That's really what it is. And what we're doing, think of an actual game of Texas Hold'em. Okay. You're sitting like the Arizona Cardinals are to your left. (laughs) Why would they tip their hand at all? You might think they've got big slick. They've got Ace King. For whatever reason, you just think that. There have been a, a lot of people, there have been reports that they've got Ace King. They've Adam Schefter has reported, it seems like they've got Ace King. You're starting to believe that they've got Ace King. Someone might have said Ace, Ace King and their left eyebrow twitched, and you just thought that indicated they do, in fact, have Ace King. They might not at all. They might have 6-7 suited or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, why... Would these teams that you're surrounded by at the poker table lead on what they have? They're right. going to try to protect their hand as best as they can, and that's where you get the curveballs. So these reports and all of these indications, and oh, by the way, to take it a step further, it would be like this poker game. These teams are whispering to NFL insiders talking about hands they don't actually have you know what i'm saying it's right. like smokescreen city and just lying through their teeth and all of that so what you have is all these teams don't want to reveal their hands they're trying to throw people off of the scent of what they're actually going to do or intending to do so it's it's just i think that's what we got here And so what's commonly believed to take place is based on things that you shouldn't be relying on heavily to make your judgment on here. I I really think that's what's going on. And it's not a mystery why the actual picks often differ greatly, even at the top of the draft, from what's commonly believed. It's a big game of Texas Hold'em. The only player at that table that you could potentially trust or that has the least incentive 
to keep their cards as close to the chest as possible is the Carolina Panthers, right? They they, they made the exactly. trade up. They have the top pick in this draft. Yeah. They can do whatever they want. There's not totally. unless they just like chaos, which I, I love chaos. I tip the cap to them if they do. Unless they love chaos, there's no real reason to be super secretive with this, which is why I think even though they haven't publicly come out and say it, the betting markets reflect it that way so emphatically at number one right now. The only pause I would give there is it looked like they were towards C.J. Stroud two weeks ago. Who is to say, and this happens almost every year, we're going to get hit with a tweet at 11 a.m. the day before the draft, the day of the draft, that the winds have changed in Carolina now hearing they want C.J. Stroud at number one. I don't know that that's going to be the case, but... You get my point. I do. I think that draft day, there's going to be something that breaks where one guy is expected to go to this team, and it might make you say, what? I I haven't heard anything about that for months, and now this is the way it's going to go? And sure enough, (laughs) more times than not, that's exactly the way it goes. I thought last year it was Derek Stingley Jr. I was at the draft, actually, Jimmy. I went there for the first round. First time I've ever been to the NFL draft, but I was standing there in Vegas baking baking in the sun <laughs> and someone was just like yeah i guess uh derek stingley jr is expected to go number three before the draft started and i was like what number three <laughs> and sure enough that's exactly what happened so yeah i could see this year being the same thing in some type of capacity and just that's where the real advice i like to give people that are looking at mocks that are trying to follow all of this you obviously trust your go-to insiders once you get close to draft day. I'm talking like Ian Rappaport. I, I, I'm like I'm talking about Adam Schefter. But those type of real breaks or earth-shattering news pieces usually come within the 24 to 36 hour period to the actual draft. So I'm not saying don't believe what you're hearing right now. Don't throw out everything that you've heard over the last couple of weeks. But that is where the real curveballs arrive rightfully so by the time it's actually ready to roll for the NFL draft the further away harder to read it the closer you are that becomes more okay this is factual because oh they're picking in 20 minutes this has to be some form of truth to what they're going to do here at pick three or four or whatever yeah I think it's pretty tough this year's draft also because when you look at the top Okay, it seems like Bryce Young's going to Carolina. Something would have to change dramatically for that not to be the case. But at number two, the Houston Texans are just a wild card. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get on your mock the Texans pick right, you might get a lot more wrong (laughs) soon after that. But I hear, and you hear it too, Jimmy, you'll hear one person say, I just talked to a guy, they're definitely going with the quarterback. And then you'll hear another report of, they're not going with the quarterback whatsoever. Right. And it's like, well, okay, well, one's going to be right and one's <laughs> going to be wrong. But if you don't get number two right, I mean, the rest of it's going to be who knows what. You might get a report the day of where it says, hey, this is going to be the top cornerback chosen or the top wide receiver chosen or this guy's going to go ahead of that guy. But for it to be a specific, hey, the Colts are taking such and such, so much of it relies on who does what ahead of them? I don't think that's going to be the report the day of the draft right? because the Texans are such a wild card right there at number two. They could totally wreck everything. And 
uh, look, I, I just said it a couple of minutes ago. I love chaos. I love havoc, particularly in things where you try so hard for weeks and weeks to weeks to make it perfect. Like a lot of people with their mock drafts, think of it like a like a house of cards, right? Like they've successfully built this thing. They're so proud of it. And then the Texans have the ability right now to just shove the whole thing down and destroy everybody's mock. Yeah. I, I would I would relish that a little bit if I was in the Texans front office just for the sake of, oh, they worked so hard on these. Here we are, though. It's actually... We're gonna take uh, <laughs> we're gonna take Eden Hooker with the second yeah. pick and, and just destroy the world. Obviously, they're not gonna do that, but it is. We're at that stage where the Texans are basically the first real domino to fall. Whether they trade out of it, whether they take a defensive prospect, or whether they were lying to us all along and actually like C.J. Stroud, that is really at this point where the draft starts for me. Yeah, yeah, man. I'll tell you what. I was hurting at the draft last year, Jimmy. My uh, right knee, so I had two surgeries on it, one in ACL. Uh, standing for a long period of time, especially on a hard surface like uh, concrete, <laughs> not great, not great for my right knee, and I was just standing there. dude. I am, Jimmy, I am an NFL junkie. I love the NFL, but I was so miserable about halfway through, I'm like, all right, two more picks, and i got to sit down, man. <laughs> but I, but then something would happen. Two more picks would go by, and I'm like, uh, all right, let's see what happens with the next pick. Uh, I'll go sit down the next pick. And then they, they passed out water, and it was just like little things kept happening. I kept on hitting these checkpoints to keep standing <laughs> there. And it was like the actual, I don't know, the pavilion, like the seated area, they were saying those seats cost thousands of dollars like two or three thousand dollars i'm like what what <laughs> so i was in like the general admission part after the seats where you're just standing right. there and oh man the vegas sun you're just baking man but uh it was fun it was fun to go one time i always wanted to go but i wouldn't go again unless it was with a group of friends and it was this whole right. you know thing that you're doing but uh I was there one time, man. I think I'm one and done unless a group of friends wants to go again. Yeah, I don't blame you. I'm at the point where the only time I probably make that NFL draft pilgrimage, for lack of a better phrase, is when Indy gets in, and I think at some point they will. I feel like they want to make this a rotating cycle that's clearly been their agenda the last five, six drafts. some point it's going to come here, and then I don't have to worry about necessarily uh, the logistics of getting there. And hey, feet get too yeah. tired, just Go home or go to a bar here locally. <laughs> there you go, and you're yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah that, that's a good backup plan right there. All right, coming up next, is this guy a certified bust already? I'm Brian, though. He's Jimmy Cook. Keep it locked right here, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So a friend of mine sent this column. It's from Nate Davis of USA Today, Jimmy. And he just wrote a piece on the NFL's the NFL drafts 50 biggest busts of the last 50 years. And it says Jets quarterback Zach Wilson ranks high. <laughs> he <laughs> rates high on this list. And so it was a little bit more than 50. He groups a couple of players together. So here's the top five. And I want to hone in on number six here. But the top five biggest busts in NFL draft history, according to USA Today's Nate Davis. Number one, he went with Ryan Leaf. 
Number two, Tony Mandrich. Three, Jamarcus Russell. Flamed out with the Raiders. My favorite is they gave him the DVD of plays to study. And he said, oh, yeah, I've been studying that. And they were like, it's blank. There's actually nothing on it. <laughs> freaking hilarious. Number four, Jeff George, you know, former Colts quarterback. Number five, he put Lawrence Phillips, former running back. Now, number six, it's a bit of a tie. He has Zach Wilson of the Jets and also Trey Lance of the 49ers. Now, the Niners have gotten some calls about a potential trade for Trey Lance. We debated that yesterday about the Colts. Would they kick the tires on Trey Lance, former number three overall pick? I just think, listen, he might be on Bust Boulevard. Like, he's driving down the road, but two years in, Trey Lance has thrown 102 passes in the NFL. 102 And he's already a certified bust. I just think it's way, way, way too early to say that for sure. But if he ends up being that with the price tag that the Niners paid to move up, yeah, if he flames out the way he has the first couple of years, that will be one of the all-time biggest busts. I just think it's too early to say that he's a bust already. Completely agree. I liked how you phrased it with he's on Bust Boulevard, like he's there, but he's not quite on on, on Bust Main Street, so to speak. <laughs> right. he, he's there, though. He's in the neighborhood right now. Got to get healthy. Need to be able to have a full body of work season underneath your belt. That's why I guess it's a blessing and a curse for him in this regard and why it's probably so tough for what the 49ers want to do because they still believe he can be the player that they drafted him to be, but the injuries and the lack of availability has really, really made this a difficult offseason for them, I think, and we're getting closer and closer to him belonging on this list. I totally agree. Right, and I think that it's a bit of a perfect storm because then you couple it with Brock Purdy, Mr irrelevant the last pick of the NFL draft and he takes over for both Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo who get hurt and he plays pretty well all things considered plays very well last season I thought he got too many roses personally right (laughs) for throwing to a wide open George Kittle from time to time but but in any event he was upright for more games than Trey Lance was he projects to be potentially the starting quarterback this year. So I think that also hurts Trey Lance, where the Niners the year before, they package all these picks to move up to number three overall to take Trey Lance. He's disappointed. He's been the guy banged up. And this guy, Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy, has been more productive, healthier, all of those things. I think it makes Trey Lance look even more like a bust in the minds of people. But you got to stop, take a breath, and remind yourself it's been two years and he's thrown 102 passes. That's it. And he's only like 22, right? He's very, very young. For me, we've known by Purdy and by Garoppolo that anybody can really thrive in San Francisco as long as you're able to get rid of the ball quickly and read things well. Shanahan was tired of that. He wanted somebody that can do all that and then take you to another level. That's why they took Lance. That's the gamble they took. Need more time to officially decide if they flopped miserably or if it's going to pan out the way they thought it was. All right, we've got Dane Brugler from The Athletic, draft guru. And uh, I don't know who's going to nerd out more, you or me, Jimmy, but we'll find out coming up. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love 
hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I'll tell you what, Jimmy. I get fired up for ball, of course, that meaning football. I get fired up for people who cover ball extensively. And that would absolutely describe our guy, Dane Brugler, from The Athletic, NFL draft analyst, guru supreme. I want to know, Dane, because you do this mega deep dive with the beast, over 400 scouting reports on almost 1,900 prospects. That is amazing. What is the most obscure fact that you know about one of the most obscure players in this upcoming draft? Oh, gosh. Uh, There's a lot of good nuggets in there. I think that's where the guy can really, you know, flex its muscles a little bit uh, with with some of the background info. Um, You know, I think it's always interesting to learn where these guys come from. And, you know, like like a Jalen Hyatt, the Tennessee wide receiver, you you can read in the draft guide how his dad is a professional cyclist and his mom was an All-American sprinter in high school. And it's like, okay, no no wonder where this guy got his wheels from. Uh, Or, you know, Evan Hull, the Northwestern uh, running back, his uh, fiance is the sister to Jermaine Johnson, uh, who was a first-round pick last year to the Jets. And uh, Evan was uh, you know, a big part of that. He got a taste of the NFL, and he'll be drafted somewhere on day three uh, this year. Uh, you know, Derek Hall, an Auburn pass rusher, you dive into his background, you find out he was born four months premature. The doctors told his mom, hey, he's not going to make it. He's not going to have any quality of life. And he turns into this 6'3", 260-pound uh, pass rusher who's, uh, who's doing just fine. So, you know, I think that's in order to know where these guys are headed, it's really interesting to look back and see where they've been and the journey they've taken to this, to this point to be on the NFL's doorstep. And so it's, it's really interesting. Dane, I want to get right down to brass tacks because I'm just an impatient man. And that's just the way that way the things roll for me sometimes. <laughs> I apologize in that regard. So after the beast, you also take on your other monster project where you release your seven round mock draft, given all 259 picks. And I know that for you, obviously 257 this year, but when you look at your schedule, you're going to release another mock next week as well. And mm-hmm. when you did the one this past week, or I guess 11 days ago, you have, the Colts taking Anthony Richardson at four. And there's been a lot of rumbling over the last five days. Maybe it's Will Levis they're going to take it four. So I want to shift both to your thoughts on what they'll do, and then ultimately if it is Will Levis, where do you grade him? Should Colts fans be worried, or is there a chance he could bloom into something special in Indianapolis? Well, with the fourth pick, obviously, uh, you know, I, what happens with the first three picks? That That is going mm-hmm. to impact what happens at four. Sure. And the closer we get to the draft, I think we can feel more and more confident that Bryce Young is going to be the pick to the Panthers at number one. Number two with the Texans, that's where the intrigue starts. Um, I think there's a very good chance they draft a, non-posi- a non-quarterback there. 
uh, whether that's Tyree Wilson or, or Will Anderson, there's a very good chance that does happen. I, I, it's more than just, you know, a lot of people say you can't believe anything you hear this time of year. It's lying season. Uh, it, you know, you just need to know who to listen to. And I, the people that I trust um, around the league, because, uh, you know, obviously the Texans aren't telling anybody what they're doing, but other teams have an idea of what they think is going to happen. And other teams believe uh, that there's a good chance a non-quarterback goes too. And then if that's the case, do we have a bidding war at number three with the Arizona Cardinals? Who trades up to number three to get that spot? Could it be the Colts moving up one spot just to ensure that they get their guy, whoever that may be? Uh, or are they comfortable sitting at four and saying, okay, if C.J. Stroud, someone trades up for C.J. Stroud at three, we feel great with Will Levis at four. Or maybe they do have Stroud, uh, you know, a certain grade ahead of Levis where it's worth trading a third rounder this year, a third rounder next year, whatever it takes to move up one spot to make sure they get the better quarterback on their board. So a lot of intrigue with that top five and the quarterbacks and how it's going to play out. But I will say this with Levis, I, he gets a bad rap. He, he does, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, with these quarterbacks. I think when you factor in, uh, you know, because with the quarterbacks, you try to ex- uh, separate reasons from excuses. And I think when you look at Will Levis, there are a lot of reasons why maybe he didn't quite live up to expectations this year. And he still had a solid year. I mean, he was over 65% completions, had 19, uh, over, over 20 total touchdowns um but when you factor in a, a new play caller it would have been it would have been awesome to see what he could have done with liam cohen uh still in the fold as a play caller but he went to be the rams offensive coordinator last year um and, and really if will knew that was going to happen will might have came out last year and he would have been uh competing with kenny pickett to be the first wide receiver or first quarterback drafted in the uh, last year so that that was a wrinkle that affected him this year um losing Wandale robinson he did the wide receiver core is really young um, you know, the, the timing was off. The offensive line, three-fifths of the offensive line was missing. So, again, it sounds like I'm making excuses here. But there are also reasons why he didn't live up to those uh, the, to the hype that we heard. And also you factor in he was hurt. I mean, people don't realize he was getting shots before every single game just so he could go out there. A lot of quarterbacks would have not even played that were in Will Levis's shoes, uh, you know, a potential top-ten pick. But he wanted to be out there. And so the toughness level off the charts, intelligence off the charts, and then you factor in the physical tools, six four two thirty, uh, a quick release. The arm is awesome. Mobility. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you point to with Will Levis and say, yeah, we can work with that. We can, we can, uh, you know, with the situation he was in last year, we feel like we can build a better ecosystem and he can really thrive with what we have. So if Will Levis ends up being the second quarterback drafted, would not be surprised at all. And I think it is a, a potential outcome uh, by the time we get to draft night. He's Dane Brugler from the athletic joining us here on the fan. Why do you think the criticism of Will Levis has been so mainstream? What would you attribute that to? You know, we saw the same thing with Josh Allen. Um, you know, when there's just there's so many of these quarterbacks. Um, you know, Anthony Richardson from Florida is three years younger, and you look at uh, the exciting tools that he has to offer. Uh, you know, it's easy to get excited about what Anthony Richardson could be in, in three years from now. Um, and and I, I would totally understand for Anthony Richardson, the number two quarterback off the board. You know, I, I get that. It's not like you have to sell me hard on an Anthony Richardson or a Will Levis or a C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, uh, you know, he's uh, – if you had to put – there's no such thing as a safe prospect, but if you had to put the safe label on one of these quarterbacks, you're putting it on Stroud because of what he has shown from within the pocket. Uh, pre and post snap he reads the field he's very accurate he touches up every level of the field 
Um, I mean, there's just a lot that you feel good about C.J. Stroud. Now, the ceiling's a different question in terms of how good he can actually be. Um, but and then you got a guy with Will Levis, where and I think I mean, fans need to remember that uh, when you're drafting players in the NFL, it's not about what you've done. It's about what we think you can do. And that's why teams draft traits, not production. And when you look at the traits that Will Levis has to offer, uh, there's a lot of things to, to be excited about. I think he's more accurate than Anthony Richardson. Um, there are definitely um, several times on tape where you look and say, you know, I wish you would have saw that just a little bit faster. Um, and, and But part of that goes back to receivers not being in the right spot at the right time uh, or, you know, the offensive line not giving him time. I mean, there, there's a lot of factors here where the offense just didn't not look the same as it did the year before. So if, you, if you're drafting Will Levis just based off the 2021 tape, I, I think there are a lot fewer questions uh, about uh, about him and his next level transition. Dane Brugler taking some time with us, lead draft analyst for The Athletic. Of course, he authors The Beast. You can get with your athletic subscription. Has great content on every prospect you could imagine for next week's draft. I want to mention part of your summary about Levis and in, in, in clarify it for me or clarify it for our audience if it matters uh, at the next level versus what he had to work with at Kentucky that's been the main defense of Will Levis is well he doesn't have the same type of tools or, or weapons around him that would make it easier to process like CJ Stroud would have had at Ohio State you said defenses are too easily able to put doubt in his mind which leads to forced or inaccurate throws because of hesitancy in his game how much of that with your evaluation of the tape is because of what's around him and all the underlying circumstances you already mentioned and how much of it is eh, this might be a flag for what he's able to do against top tier defenses in the NFL. We don't talk enough about how dependent the quarterback position is. Like, I, I mean, it, it, your receivers, your line, your coaching. I mean, this the quarterback is a, it's a team game. And if a quarterback can't do it all, if, he's, if you're not getting the blocking, if your guys aren't getting open, um, you know, it's, it's so much about, pro level wide receivers and you know, it's all about timing and cadence and if you don't have that with your quarterback uh, it's going to be really hard to move the football and you know if you don't have that with your quarterback it creates doubt and so it's it's a little all of the above with uh, everything that went on at Kentucky last year and you know what they still had a relatively successful season um you know with uh, what they were able to do so i think you know levis overcame a lot that were you know kind of roadblocks in his way so you know it's it's something that he's not um a, a perfectly clean evaluation you know it's not like i'm, I'm not going to sit here and say i'm you know going to bet my mortgage that uh he, he's going to end up being a, a playoff caliber quarterback but he has the tools that I can understand why a team would bet that he could do it. Um, you know, he, he he's a very intelligent guy, both book smart, but also quick minded. And I think that's something that and the toughness. I think that you look at a guy like Jalen Hurts uh, for the for the Eagles and obviously different price tag. He was a second round pick. But something that has really stood out with Hurts uh, is he it's been a real bit of a roller coaster for him over the years. I mean, think about it. This time last year, we were talking about the Eagles having multiple first round picks in this draft that they could go get a quarterback if they won. We weren't talking about Jalen Hurts as his potential MVP candidate. But it hurts is so special because of the competitive toughness, because of the intangibles, because of that mentality that he has where he can make mistakes and overcome them and, you know, brush them off. And I think that's with uh, with Will Levis. You see some of that as well, where it doesn't matter what's going on around him. He has that mentality and the competitive toughness to fight through that and go to the next play without it lingering. So I think that that 
th- th- with a lot of coaches, a lot of evaluators around the league, they're, they're looking at Levis and they see that and they're willing to bet on that. Dane, when you uh, you hear about these S2 scores a lot more yep. now where it's it basically measures how quickly a player can process information. How much mm-hmm. stock do you put into that and how much stock do teams put into a, a, a test like that? It's split. I mean, some teams don't use it at all. Um, some teams uh, are very, very invested in, in those scores. And, you know, I think it's a relatively new, uh, uh, you know, a data point to the evaluation process. And so, uh, you know, a lot of us, you know, teams included, those of us on the outside, we're still piecing together how, you know, you think of a pie chart and how much of that pie chart is, you know, most of it's game tape and part of the pie chart is uh you know certain you know the interview process part of it is uh maybe the medicals uh, but part of that pie chart goes to the cognitive testing and how much how big should that percentage be in the pie chart for an s2 and some of these other tests that we have we're still trying to figure that part out um because it's i don't think anybody looks at it and says this is um, you know, a, a be all end all. It's going to tell us a quarterback's going to be successful. And I can't tell you exactly how the Colts, how much stock the Colts put into it. I, I don't know that, but I do know, um, you know, some teams care a lot about it. And, you know, that might be a reason why uh, the Texans, if they don't draft the quarterback in two, it might be a reason why. So um, the S2 testing is definitely playing a part now um, in how, you know, teams, uh, you know, it's, part, it's a data point, it's something else to consider. Um, and, you know, with the Colts, uh, I, I can't tell you exactly how much they, they weigh something like that, but it's at least, you know, you want all the information you can. And for a guy like Will Levis, who scored high, uh, he was in the 90th. It, it, you know, Bryce Young was near perfect, and he was at the top. No, no wonder, you know, why he's uh, going to be the number one overall pick. But Will Levis, not far behind. He, he, he graded pretty highly, and that, that, that tracks with the intelligence that you hear about that, you know, everything, all the scouts that talk about him, they all mention his, his smarts and how quickly he uh, processes things. So, um, you know, it uh, wasn't a surprise to see Will Levis score highly in that test. The Athletics' Dane Bluger with us here on The Fan. Dane, I asked you about Will Levis a couple moments ago and how he's able to you know be factored in with his ability to process versus the weapons around him. Conversely, when you look at a prospect like C.J. Stroud and you say things like his ability with ball placement, being a rhythm passer, how do you evaluate that compared to what he had around him when trying to project what he can do at the next level, particularly in a first or second year with a team where maybe they don't have, they won't have the type of treasure troves of weapons that Ohio State had around him. That, that's always the difficult part, uh, and that's why quarterback will always be the toughest position to evaluate. Is because the college game is very different than the NFL game, and some of these guys had a, a really uh, comfortable situation. And C.J. Stroud. Uh, you know, you think, look at his left tackle, right tackle. Uh, one will be a first-round pick. The other will be a second-round pick this year. Uh, you think <laughs> about the targets he was throwing to uh, last year uh, with uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, this year with Marvin Harrison Jr. and uh, Egbuka and Julian Fleming. Um, I mean, just a loaded, loaded offense. And so – you don't fault him for that. It's not his fault, but you try to separate him from the situation. And it's not always easy to do. And not just the talent, but the play calling and the, the offensive structure. I mean, you think about Hendon Hooker and, uh, you know, he's a, 
a quarterback who thrived this year. Would have won the Heisman, in my opinion, if not for the ACL injury late in the year. But he's playing in an offense where it's half field reads. It's uh, you know you're spreading out the defense, a lot of more more open windows and defined reads with what you're doing. So it's just it's different than what you're going to be asked to do in the NFL. And there's definitely projection involved with that. And so for a CJ Stroud, you know, let's just say he does go number two to the, the Texans. Uh, you know, he's uh, the, the, the talent that he has on that roster, you know, it's uh, relative to what he had at Ohio State is going to be much different. And so it, it's uh, it, it's why the quarterback position is so so difficult to evaluate because you have to try to uh, scout them independent of everything around him. But it's not always easy to do. And when everything happens a little bit faster and he's feeling the heat, feeling the pressure, can he speed things up? Can he get better in that respect? Um, that, that, that's the question with the ceiling with C.J. Stroud is the creativity. Can he use his legs more? We saw it in the Georgia game. I think that's what gives you optimism that he can. But it's you know by no, uh, no, no sure thing by any means uh, when he's facing that type of defense week in, week out in the NFL. I don't know if this is a, a good or even fair question, but with everything you explained there with C.J. Stroud, and I'm with you on that, I've been saying similar things, which would make you more nervous as a team? Let's say you draft C.J. Stroud. Would you be more nervous, like, we got to surround C.J. Stroud with as much talent as possible because that's what he's had at Ohio State? Or, or would you feel more nervous about surrounding Will Levis with top talent? How would you go about that? Uh, breaking the tie between Stroud and Levis in terms of supporting cast, which is more important. You know, I, I, I think that it doesn't really matter who your quarterback is. I mean, you have to do your best to surround him with, with talent because it's, it, it, it's tough for any quarterback to truly lift up uh, uh, the, the team around you if you don't have talent. It really is. And so, you know, we've seen it. You know, who knows? You know, go back to Tim Couch coming in with the Browns. You know, Tim Couch, if he goes to number two to the Eagles and Donovan McNabb goes number one to the Browns, uh, who knows how we're talking about Tim Couch as being, uh, you know, one of the better quarterbacks uh, the last 25 years. You know, I, I, so I think so much about the situation uh, dictates how guys uh, end up developing and, the, and how we view these uh, view these guys. So, you know, I, I, Stroud is used to having an all-star cast around him, and that is – Something that when he gets to the NFL, and maybe it's not quite as easy, maybe he's able to adjust. You know, we don't know. And with Will Levis, uh, with you put more talent around him, uh, you know, it, maybe he's really able to shine, uh, or maybe he's still facing some of the same struggles. It's it, it's a, it's the uh, the college game, the NFL game are so so different that makes it a really tough projection with these quarterbacks. Dane, last thing on my end, when you are analyzing and making your seven-round mock, you have the Colts mm -hmm. taking a corner with their second pick, and then you have, in the third round, them taking Marvin Mims at wide receiver. I'm more of an offensive first guy, so I'll leave it there. When you're looking at the scouts you've done and you're looking at the need for the team, how do you factor that in when mocking out, okay, in the third round, the Colts need a wide out? This is why I think, just for example, in this mock, Marvin Mims fits best with Shane Steichen's offense, and how much do you take into account the quarterback selection they would have made earlier in your mock? Yeah, I think you do your best to understand team needs, but not, and not more so than just, okay, they need a corner, okay, it's this guy, or you need a receiver, okay, it's just this. It, you try to focus on trends, uh, the types of receivers, the types of corners that they look for. Certain teams have certain thresholds when it comes to athletic testing, when it comes to size. 
Um, you know, and so you try to color within the lines as much as you can. Uh, and that can be difficult because it's not always that simple. Teams will, uh, you know, buck the trend here and there. And with the Colts, you know, we, we know, you know, knowing Chris, I mean, he, he likes to uh, address toolsy players, the high traits. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that we know he loves to build up front, especially on the defensive line. But when, you know, in, in the second round, I am drafting Emmanuel Forbes, which, you know, that's a tough one because Emmanuel Forbes is 100, was 166 pounds at the combine. He's a really good player. You love the tape. You love the ball skills. Can you compromise a little bit on the size for a guy that has that type of ability? And, you know, would, uh, w- would Chris do that where, you know, we know Chris, it's a big man's game and he wants the, the bigger guys, the, the, the traits. Uh, but Emmanuel Forbes, if he were to fall to you in the second round, it'd be awfully tough to pass on a good football player. So it does become a little bit of a, a, a challenge to try to match these guys up. But, you know, I think a, like a Marvin Mims in the third round, uh, given this team more of a, a downfield threat, he doesn't, Mims doesn't have size, but he has speed. He can get over the top to the defense, um, you know, help open things up. So um, when you try to match up what fits, especially with the first year coaching staff, not always easy, but yeah, you try to color within the lines as much as possible. You know, Dane, before you go, the name The Beast is just fantastic <laughs> for your draft guide. Like, I gotta know, did you come up with it? I just saw the movie Air, and there was a, no. a thing about who came up with Air Jordan exactly. Like, was it you that came up with The Beast, a family member? How did it come about? No, I, honestly, I fought it. I, you know, I, I'm not a, a, a kind of a, you know, look at me type of, you know, like that's not, I just wanted to do my work and share it and all that. And um, it was, a couple of fans kept calling it the beast, the beast. And it just kind of stuck, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago. And I, finally I just embraced it and said, you know what, if there's a name that's going to really encapsulate everything I'm trying to do here with the, the amount of work, a year's worth of work, all the players, there's almost 1900 players in here. Um, you know what the beast, it kind of fits. It, it, it does, I think, uh, sum it up. And so, you know, I'm starting to lean into it a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, that just it puts more pressure on me to make sure I'm living up to it every single year. If I'm going to call something the beast, it better live up to that type of name. And uh, I, I think we did it this year. And you know, that's motivation every year. I love it, man. Well, hey, Dane, great job, as always, man, with the beast. And thanks for joining us today. Great job on the interview as well. We love your stuff. And it's good to visit with you. Thanks, Dane. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thank you. There he is, Dane Brugler from The Athletic, NFL draft analyst, author of The Beast, (laughs) the ultimate draft guide. That thing is just an information, I don't know, what's the best word? An information... Encyclopedia? Encyclopedia. I was thinking like ball heaven, you know, something, I don't know. Yeah. But it is... It is freaking detailed. <laughs> it, is, it, it is NFL draft data nirvana is, is, is there where, you I would, go. where I would place it for sure. I like that. By the way, like, d- did you think of me throughout most of that interview with him singing the praises of Will Levis, talking about the lack of a supporting cast, looking at CJ Stroud and saying, hey, man, it's going to be hard to replicate the type of supporting cast he's used to. Do I need to just pick up the phone and call in? Is it that thing? Like, do I need to f- sound like I'm on a phone line so I sound smarter? Is it my delivery? What is it? Will you push back with me left and right? And Brugler's saying, like, the same thing. And this dude is as bright as it comes. Here's my issue. You knew it was coming at some point. 
because I'm not going to cut across the guest. I don't like to do that. <laughs> he still has Levis as his fourth best quarterback off the board. He still goes young Stroud Richardson. So, like, yes, he was nicer than any analyst we've had on has been about Will Levis. But, like, he told me things that you and I have discussed about him in terms of the positivity of him. Yet he still has him as the fourth best quarterback off his board. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So is is it his big board or is it his mock draft? This is not his mock draft. This is his beast where he's ranking every prospect. His mock is a separate thing. He has uh, Levis going, I think, 11th to the or sorry, 11th to the Texans. Sorry, mm-hmm. 11th to the Titans, I beg your pardon, in his mock draft. But in his beast where he ranks every prospect at every position group, he has Levis as the fourth best quarterback off the board. Well, that's a great follow-up question. Why, why wouldn't you throw that his way and say, hey, I hear you on all this when it comes to Levis, but when you are splitting hairs between these top guys and you're on the clock and you've got to make a decision, why are you choosing the other guys in front of Levis? The only reason I didn't ask that question of him is because we've tried to kind of have that dance with other analysts and what ends up happening around this time of year, and I love Dane. I, half the reason I subscribe to The Athletic is for the beast because I enjoy just the entire treasure trove of data and scouting reports that are in there. But at this point in time in the season... And he was doing it when he was asked, answering every question about every prospect we asked him about. They're not saying a ton of negative things. A mm-hmm. lot of it from Dane is the positive side of all of these quarterbacks. Not to say he didn't address the negative pieces, but they're not giving the direct straight answer I want other than mm. here's what the answer would have been because we had it with uh, I can't remember if it was Eric Froton or who it was a couple weeks ago but we asked a similar question to them and the thought was well everybody's board is different like I, I like a lot of these prospects this is just how I have them ranked and I don't know I just didn't didn't want to go down that path again of, okay, we, we, we're only going to talk to him for probably about 20 minutes. I wanted to go the receiver route and see, hey, why do you rank things that Unbelievable. way? In terms Unbelievable. Of, you go receivers path. instead of the heart of the matter here. Huh? I felt, like we, I, felt like, we had, I felt like we had the heart of the matter for 15 minutes. I apologize <laughs> for wanting to step out of the quarterback room for just a second and look at another obvious need for this team. No, I hear you. It's all good. <laughs> but, uh, man, I, like, what happened to Philly Jay Cook? It's only with Tim Tebow? Is that it? <laughs> we don't get it with Dane Brugler and his mock Look, rankings I, here, no? I will say this, and you might appreciate this. You might be like, ah, get out of here. The In general, the processing of his analysis of Stroud and Levis are both – he wasn't as negative as Stroud as you have been, but they were both a fair point to where Colts fans that are anybody but Levis think should have a little oh. bit more of an open mind, particularly if it's for – and he's the last guy there. Like, if that's what ends up happening, okay, we can gripe, we can moan about it, but you've said it, and I've tipped the cap to you when you've said it, there are enough positives around him to where if he's there and that's who they end up with, all right, you hope he does well, you hope he makes good, and he's the next face of the franchise. My larger issue, because I have Stroud and Richardson higher, as does Dane, if they take Levis instead of one of them. Like, if all three are available at four, then I'll probably be a little bit disheartened by the Colts decision making on draft night. You know, we got to we got to circle back to just that coming up next. My the, disheartenment? No, no, no. The <laughs> the anybody but Levis crowd, okay? From a Colts perspective. I mean, we got to just peel back a couple of the onion layers on that one. We'll do that right around the corner. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 935 and 1075 the fan. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You know, every now and then, Jimmy, I just get into a bad mood over here. Brian Noe and Jimmy Cook with you here, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I don't like getting into a bad mood, but I'll tell you what. Nothing gets me into a bad mood quicker than bad logic or just a bad argument. Okay. You know, there's just something about, I'm not saying I never have one myself. I know this sounds like a very, we're Notre Dame and you're not. has <laughs> <laughs> that sort of tone. I don't mean it like that, but it's just when something doesn't add up whatsoever for all these knuckleheads that are, anybody but Will Levis. Like, really walk down that road for a second and really think about what you're saying. You're literally saying anybody but Will Levis, right? So what? You're going to take Mr. Irrelevant over Will Levis? Is that what you're doing over there? You take a sixth-round draft prospect over Will Levis? That's dumb to begin with. And then when you take it a step further and I say, okay, I'm not going to make it a matter of semantics. I know you're talking about the top prospects. Fine. We've talked about C.J. Stroud and the embarrassment of riches he's had at Ohio State. We just heard from Dane Brugler talk about it's going to be hard to surround C.J. Stroud with as much talent as what he enjoyed at The Ohio State. If C.J. Stroud goes to the Colts, rude awakening in terms of the talent he's not surrounded by. I'm not telling you the Colts have no talent. I'm not saying that. I am telling you they don't have half of what Ohio State has had the last two seasons. That is a freaking fact. That's not even an opinion. So for anybody to be like, Anybody but Will Levis. As if what? As if C.J. Stroud's going to come in and do twice as much in Indianapolis? I don't agree with that at all. And a lot of it has to do with the supporting cast. It matters, and you heard Dane. I feel like he needs a a nickname, like the Duke or something. I don't know. (laughs) He broke it down, and that's what he's saying, too. Like, the supporting cast matters a ton. And for a lot of these people to just view the quarterback, and the quarterback alone... Instead of considering the supporting cast, it is reckless, Jimmy. It is reckless analysis right there. He stressed it that, number one, it happens every single year. When I asked him about how do you balance that between where do you draw the line for penalizing having great talent around you versus not having great talent around you, he also said, like, I've kind of stressed and you've agreed with as well. It's not C.J. Stroud's fault. That's where he ended up, right? You can only play in the situation that you're welcome to. But again, I go back to my larger just issue with this, and it it's why I have the pause. Not that I'm in the anybody but Will Levis camp. I am with the top four. Like if that's where we're uh, cropping it into, I am. I'd rather have Young. I'd rather have Richardson. Or I'd rather have Stroud. You. But in terms of if they're at four and it is time to take a quarterback, and that is who was the best player available for them the entirety of this draft board. They're going to tell us that regardless on Friday night. Okay, I'm not going to go as far as, hey, you know what, maybe we just we just trade back and we don't take a swing there at Will Levis. I do believe that has to be thought about, though, greatly if he is the fourth best quarterback on your board and not at the top 
Like if the Colts have him as their fourth best QB, but they have like I don't know Will Anderson Jr. higher, or they have a, a another defensive playmaker higher, or whatever position you want to go, or they get an offer of the century for four, then maybe you don't take him. But you don't just not take him for the sake of ah, you know, we were doing like anybody else but this guy. It's not the path you take. I, I agree with you there. Even the top four guys, okay? For anyone to say anybody but Levis, I hate how it sounds, Jimmy. I'll break it down for you. It just doesn't sound right. If you say, hey, I don't know, Bryce Young's my guy. I have a thing for Smurf quarterbacks. Sure. What, what, whatever yeah, your argument yeah, yeah. is. Yeah. If you say, I, That's CJ usually how Stroud's most people my guy. lead off that argument, by <laughs> the way. That's usually where they start. <laughs> Go on. Anthony Richardson's <laughs> my guy. I got a thing for toolsy quarterbacks that have hardly any any experience in college, but that's my thing. Whatever. What? I'm being a jerk a little bit here, but Just slightly. my, it's right, my point is, if it's four a quarterback, fine. Okay, I can accept that better than anybody but Will Levis. Like, you're basically saying, this dude sucks in comparison <laughs> of these other three dudes. That's ridiculous. How it sounds matters. It sort of, like, shapes your argument. How it lands, how it feels. For instance, if... My girl says, hey, hey, you want to go to, I don't know, a movie on Saturday? If I say, yeah, that's cool. That's different than, yeah, that's cool. (laughs) It's the same words. It's the same exact wording. It lands completely differently. So if you say, hey, man, I'm just high on Stroud, Young, Richardson, that's different than anybody but Levis. I just hate how that sounds and how that lands. Hate it. Okay, well, I don't. I, I want you to be as comfortable and as happy as possible on this show. <laughs> so I'll try to avoid the anything but Levis uh, avenue, even though I feel like you're the one that started this conversation with the anybody but Levis dialogue. That being said, this is my thought on Levis. And this is why, again, you and I are behind microphones. We're not in front offices right now. I think that where he can go, and Dane has this assessment in his summary, I think that he can be a starting level NFL quarterback. I think he can belong in the league. I don't view him as a high upside, upper echelon prospect that can not only be a starter, that can go ahead and take you to that same breadth of conversation of... Because I like the tools and just the talent of Anthony Richardson more. I do. I feel like they both had similar hands tied behind their back within their respective programs. Whether you want to say Levis had it worse or not is fine, but he went through those same changes in terms of coordinators. He wasn't throwing to these all otherworldly wide receivers like C.J. Stroud was. That's where we've had the more fair agree to disagree portion Mm -hmm. of our Richardson and Levis debate is we can both look at Stroud and say, you know what? Maybe that's a fair point about the weapons. Maybe they were what made him the quarterback he is. But Mm -hmm. Anthony Richardson, as a just entire machine, even before what he put up at the combine, he's dealing with similar handcuffs to what Levis was. I view them as more in the same project label and I would rather hitch my wagons to Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I mean, look, maybe he pans out. I don't have a crystal ball over here. The thing, and I'll I'll be anti-draft analyst for a second. Okay. You know, I'll say something critical slash negative, if you will, about Anthony Richardson. And this is fair. This is not just a shot for the sake of doing it. I just don't foresee precision. I just don't see it. Um, I know that he's been a young guy. 
I know that he hasn't had a ton of experience or a ton of reps, maybe with more fine-tuning and a lot more reps in the NFL and years down the road, he can look a lot better. I think that's possible, but I just don't see a guy that's had less than 400 college passes and only 13 starts. I don't see that guy all of a sudden hitting the turbo boosters in the NFL and he is just dissecting defenses and throwing dimes left and right. I just don't see that. I see a guy that can be a playmaker, can do some things that make you say, wow. And then the next throw, it's like, whoa. <laughs> I think that Richardson is going to be a guy that is inconsistent and is never just precise. I, I, I don't know if that's going to turn out to be the case or not. I just don't foresee precision from the guy. So... Answer me this. When you are in the camp, and by in the camp, I mean you're you're the leader of the camp of this argument on the Will Levis side of things. When you're in that camp and you defend Levis and you look at him and you say, he went through changes at offensive coordinator. He had a lack of talent along the offensive line. He didn't have weapons to throw to. And you look at Anthony Richardson and you see similar, I don't, I'm not going to call them excuses, but you see similar reasons for why maybe he didn't shine as effectively as he could have. You look at both of those prospects, and the only, because I'll throw out the Penn State years for Will Levis, I'll just look at Kentucky, the only difference between the two in terms of body of work is 12 games? You're telling me 12 more games collegiately gives you more confidence in Will Levis than Anthony Richardson because it feels like you're not willing to make the same, again, Wait not excuses, Wait a minute. but you're not willing to make the same defense of Anthony Richardson that you are for Will Levis. Okay, just keep it, instead of the comparison thing, because sometimes it's better to, like, it gives you a clearer picture to not compare. Sure. You know, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, look at it from a different point of view. Okay. Just stick with Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson, as is right now, versus Anthony Richardson staying around Florida for another year. You know, get all those reps, 12 games, all the throws, all the reps, all the practice. You feel the same way about Anthony Richardson next year as you do right now? In terms of where he's ranked? In terms of just him as a quarterback, what he brings to the table. I mean, I would have to see the numbers, right? Like if he puts together another season of, you know, north of 2,500 yards and the percentages on completions don't regress like he's at 53.8 last year I won't deny that's not great we've also debunked that a little bit of he had some subpar receivers like Levis did that dropped a lot of balls and his ball placement was actually pretty well so as long as he doesn't drop from a completion standpoint yet again I think I have the same evaluation of him sure well I I just don't think so because when you have that much more time when you have experience when you get the reps we're talking about Anthony Richardson and the tools and just putting everything together having a full season another one uh, another one like DJ Khaled you know um, under his belt if you are a believer in Anthony Richardson I think another year would help his development. So the only thing I'm saying, I'm not saying he should uh, revoke his name and go back to Florida. We know he's going to the NFL. I'm just telling you that reps, experience, game started, all that stuff matters. And so, yeah, for Anthony Richardson to only have 13 starts, 
That's very, very little. And when he's trying to get those reps and that experience, not at the college level another year, at the NFL level, when he hasn't had a ton of reps in that foundation, that is a tough ask. And that's just something that, yeah, that is a a huge red flag to me in terms of, is this guy going to pan out? The lack of experience and the lack of reps. I would argue, and usually I'm on the fence on this. Usually I am, well, you don't want to throw a guy to the fire right away. What if it breaks him from a psychological standpoint? What if he can't read things the right way? He gets frustrated himself, and then he burns out in the league in four or five years. But if we're going back to the whole, and we've said this for Levis too, Shane Steichen, I don't, <laughs> I'm joking here when I say miracle worker, but Shane Steichen has a large body of work of being able to get the most out of quarterbacks as an offensive coordinator, hoping you'd see the same here as a head coach in Indy. I would argue that unlike a guy like Bryce Young, where we've talked about his frame worries you, the way he is built in Anthony Richardson and just his overall natural God-given ability as an athlete, he's going to be able to take the punishment that comes with the NFL. I would hope that those reps in the league would be just as valuable as another year at college, considering the type of QB mind Shane Steichen is supposed to be. Well, but that's the thing is, it's just the difference of levels. You know what I'm saying? Where you're learning at, um, it'd be like this, okay? It'd be like, you ever go to the batting cages? Sure. Okay? So let's say that you don't have a ton of experience hitting 70 mile per hour pitches at the batting cages. And it's like, okay, all right. You could use more seasoning. You could use more reps there. But let's just, ah, the hell with it. Let's throw you in the 90 mile per hour cage and see how you do. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we're asking Anthony Richardson to do. We're not giving him the reps at the college level where the speed is slower, the windows are greater to find a wide receiver. I mean, hell, just ask C.J. Stroud that. You know? <laughs> but we're asking him to do this at the NFL level where the speed of the game is much faster, where the windows are tighter to try to fit in the ball to a wide receiver. You're asking him to do all of that stuff, get those reps, get that experience that he lacks at the highest level possible. And we're asking him to be precise on top of that? That's a huge ask. It's not just about his tools and what he brings to the table. His lack of experience is a huge, huge deal here. I don't disagree that experience matters, but if the rest of the stuff as a coach in terms of just what he presents from his skill trait you think is moldable, you think you can get the most out of him and you think, hey, there's going to be growing pains, but we're not playing a one or two year sample size here. We're not looking for who is the most pro ready right away. We want who is the next franchise guy, who is the next guy that's going to lead us for 15 years, not just a two year window. For me, I would look at the inexperience and I would say, hey, I like what your tape shows. I feel like I can mold you into something special here in Indianapolis, in Houston, in Detroit, wherever he ends up. That's just what, that's just how I would approach it. And you're not fully disregarding the inexperience. That matters. But like anything else, like the height of Bryce Young, like the weapons around Will Levis, you have to take the entire body of work into account. And just because he only has 13 starts under his belt, it's not like he had 13 starts and he's about to turn 30. Right? Like he, he's still a very young prospect that can be molded, that can grow. You're betting on his upside at that point. I know, but you're also knowing that you're going to have to work out the kinks sure. at the highest level possible. But with this offense, you're going to have to do that with any prospect you take. There's going to be growing pains, whether it's Stroud, whether it's Levis, mm. whether it's Richardson, because 
in some regard, Stroud, obviously the biggest of the three, you're taking a step back or maybe a mini step forward for what you would have had in your college programs. Okay, we got to get to this coming up next here, Jimmy, is uh, would you say there's no chance for certain teams in the NFL. I'll get you the exact question around the corner, but fun little exercise here. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. You know, Jimmy, you're a smart man. Smart people have holes in their game from time to time, like your, you know, skepticism of Will the Thrill Levis and Way your fanboying of uh, C.J. Stroud. I mean, we got we have blind spots, but you're smart, dude. You're absolutely a smart Thank you. dude. Very kind. So there was a promotion right around Super Bowl Sunday. Okay, this goes back a couple of months ago, and the promotion was win Super Bowl tickets for the next three Super Bowls. Hmm. Three straight years. And so I thought it would be a good time. I, I don't know why I was reminded of that, but it popped into my head. I think this would be a good exercise right here while we're on the doorstep of the NFL draft. If you are to look at all the 32 teams in the NFL, how many teams would you say they have no chance to win a Super Bowl over the next three years? Remember the old uh, Vince McMahon music? No chance. Yeah, no chance to win a Super Bowl over the next three seasons. Who would be on the list? I would. I'm going to give you a number first because I would it be easier to say the teams that would be no wouldn't be. I, wouldn't be. I wouldn't would be put, is way easier because most of the league would be on the has a chance list. I would put 22 teams on the list that don't have a chance. What? No. what? Yes. Over three years? Over three seasons, yes. You, this is, is it 420 today? I thought 420 <laughs> was yesterday. You are out of your mind. There is no way you can come up with 22 teams that have no chance over a three-year stretch. All right, three years. Pats, no shot. I agree with that. That's one of the few teams on my list. But even that, let's let's preface this for a second, Jimmy. Think about this. Think about trades that can occur. Think about free agency. Think about going from worst to first. Quick turnarounds happen a lot. Look at the Jags. Last year, they go from a three-win team to winning the AFC South. Better example would be the Bengals. They were 4-11-1. And Joe Burrow got hurt in his rookie season. The next year, they almost won the Super Bowl. You know, like, so this is the NFL. We preface everything with quick turnarounds can happen. Okay. All right. Uh, you're going to have to keep track for me because sometimes my math ain't so good. There, 22. So here we go. Dear, here, no we go. here we go. Okay. All right. The, the Ravens, no shot. Why? No chance. 
Why no, be, no be, be, chance? Because, because Lamar might be around one more season if he decides to come back, but they're not winning it next year, and at some point that drama's going to run its course where he's out of Baltimore. So he's off my board. The Pittsburgh Steelers are off my board for two okay. reasons. Even though I love Mike Tomlin to death, I think their defense is always subpar with him. Or not subpar, excuse me, above subpar with him. The quarterback play is what's subpar for me. Not a mm-hmm. Kenny Pickett believer. I'm going to take him off the board. The Tennessee Titans, I'm going to take off the board. Kind of for the same reason, great defensive-minded, great all-around coach. They don't have the quarterback figured out. Ryan Tannehill has reached his point of no return. The Houston mm-hmm. Texans are not winning a Super Bowl three Ooh. seasons from now. But the what, if they get, what if they Colts, get C.J. Stroud? Huh? It's, it, 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 it's going to take some time to build around him. I think they're oh. still, still outside that three-year window to be winning a Super Bowl. The Colts in that same vein, you could argue they might be five years out, particularly if it's Whoa. Will Knight, Quill Levis, that they wow. take with the fourth overall wow. pick. no chance. <laughs> okay, the Denver right. Broncos are on that list because that Russell Wilson contract continues to look worse and worse by the year. The Raiders are there as well. Why? Because they're in the same division as the Chiefs and the Chargers. The Dallas Cowboys, because Dak Prescott has run his course there in my mind. They are always going to be picked as a darling. They are always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Take the Cowboys off the list. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Before you go any further here, and shame on me for not setting it up this way. My apologies. I want you to think that you've got every dollar to your name on this prediction. You're literally saying there is no chance. If I'm wrong, drain my bank account. I don't have a cent to my name. Are you then saying the Cowboys have no chance over a three-year period to win a Super Bowl? If I'm losing everything, then no, I can't do that to my family. I'm losing everything. I can't do it. I can't do it. I also don't know where I'm at count-wise, so maybe I threw them in there prematurely. Let's see, I got two, four, six, eight, if we exclude the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, the Giants and the Commanders are off the board in my mind. Oh. Uh, the, the, the Danny Dimes contract was a, a, a exercise of we got to keep our quarterback. They are the G-men. Eli Manning ain't walking through that door. Okay, all right. You know what? We're going to pause this. We're going to pick it back up in the next hour. Okay. I want to see if you can get Wait, can to- I give you one more real quick? Sure, what is it? The entire NFC South. Give me four teams right there. They're not winning it in the next three years. Okay, you still got work to do. You're approaching the teens now, <laughs> and you got to get to 22. I don't think you can do it here. Um, we'll get to that in the next hour. Also, Kevin Bowen. He was there. Chris Ballard, Colts GM, just spoke to the media. Uh, KB was there. His thoughts on that? We'll get him right around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Eddie Garrison with us as well. You've been on a big uh, classic rock rejoin kick over there, Eddie Garrison. It's I feel Friday. like that's how I roll. <laughs> that's how you get that. Fine. You got to get the weekend vibes going, you know, with some yeah. classic hits. I can, I can picture you cruising down like, I don't know, 465 East. Not West, East. Yeah, rocking some classic rock. <laughs> Window is half rolled down, not fully, because it might be raining, you know. Hair just blowing, glasses on. Can you see it too, Jimmy? He's got it right. Yep. That's my picture. <laughs> I had the picture. Yep. <laughs> All right, Kevin Bowen joining us here. KB from uh, Kevin and Query on the fan here. Hear him every morning. Uh, how about you? Kevin, you get down with the window halfway rolled down, classic rock playing. You do that? 
Yeah, I, I don't know about classic rock. I mean, honestly, stereotypical like sports writers, like, all right, Bruce Springsteen time, you know, let's, <laughs> let's go, windows down. Uh, I'm probably a little bit more modern with my selections, not to act like I'm young and hip by any means, but a little bit more modern than maybe the stereotypical, uh, maybe what Mike Chappell's listening to on his way to Peach Grove right now. <laughs> what are a couple examples of this uh, modern rock that you partake in, KB? Uh, again, I don't know if rock would – maybe I misspoke. More just a modern um, music genre. Mm. I, I'm not, you know, particular classic rock. I'm not diehard country. I'm not diehard rap. I just am more of that. If you're going to play, like, top 100 most played on Spotify in the last couple of years, I'm probably one that's going to, uh, going to appreciate the music selection. He's listening to Soldier Boy and uh, uh, <laughs> Apple Bottom Jeans. That's what he's listening to. You know what, Eddie? Um, I think yesterday, how old am I? I'm 33. So yesterday, I believe, was the 14-year anniversary of me attending a Soldier Boy concert out in, boy, I don't even know if they have like a name for it. Um, I just called them the tailgate fields when I was in college. Pretty much the tailgate fields at IU. A little five week, and I was a freshman, and I went to the Soldier Boy concert. I did not stay very long. Don't think uh, freshman year Kevin Bowen uh, could really handle uh, maybe the environment uh, at the old Soldier Boy concert. But I have seen Soldier Boy. I got a T-shirt as well. Um, I think I did uh, donate that T-shirt though in the last couple of years. So yes, Eddie, you are you are onto something there. <laughs> I love it, man. How about uh, seeing Chris Ballard today at the press conference, meeting with the media? What was your biggest takeaway from what he had to say? Yeah, I always find it a little bit more informative than most. I, I, I don't know. I feel like you know, it's just like, oh, it's the draft presser. He's not going to say anything of note. Um, I think particularly when you get away from draft-related questions and you ask a little bit more free agency-related questions, you know, Ballard can be a guy that does share some things. So he just posted to 107.5thefan.com, you know, where he sees draft depth, I always find particularly interesting. He mentioned tight end. He mentioned O-line and D-line. Likes the DN group especially. Likes the cornerback group, which is certainly a need for this team. You know, he talked about corner and O-line as two areas that – uh, they could, you know, not only find maybe in the draft a little bit there, but also in free agency still. Um, so that was some of the non-quarterback stuff. You know, if again I say this with it is lying season, Ballard like to use the word. You know, I don't lie. I might dance. So you know, he was certainly doing some dancing, <laughs> dancing today. If there is one thing that I found interesting in the twenty minutes. It was he went out of his way, probably 10-ish questions into the press conference, to make it clear that he was laughing at the whatever, the assumption out there that the Colts have been pegged to one guy. Now, he did not say that one guy. I do think if there is some national and even some local chatter, um, it would probably be Will Levis. I, I would think would qualify as maybe the name that you – most see the Colts associated with. Um, and Ballard, again, kind of went out of his way to yeah, disregard that sort of assumption. Um, you could look at that one of a couple of ways. He did that to try and maybe quiet the chatter because, in reality, that's who they want, and they would like to select that guy next Thursday. 
Um, I feel like if he wanted to do that, he would have gone like heavy out of his way and would have brought that up on several occasions. Um, that's kind of how I look at it. And I think to myself, you know, he just can't really help himself. And he, he, he at times kind of gets in those, gets in those modes and those settings where there is something that he thinks is not true. He's hearing it and he wants to make sure that people out there, you know, that he points out that he sees it and he, it, it is not true. So, Again, it, it, it's six days before the draft starts. I might be overreading so much into that statement, but I did find that one little tidbit uh, a bit interesting. Kev, this first lead-in is a yes or no. Do you think Vegas is almost always right? Uh, I, I'd like to answer more than one word, but <laughs> yes. Okay, I lead it up that way in reference to Chris Bauer potentially talking about Will Levis or not. And I want to get your kind of feel for if it's not internally from the Colts being leaked out, where's it coming from or where do you think it's coming from? And, and at this point, do we believe it is fact? That is to say that over the course of four days alone, there's a bet on DraftKings where you could decide who's getting drafted first, Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. It was minus like 134 days ago. It was minus 175 two days ago. It's minus 300 today that Will Levis is going to be taken before Anthony Richardson. The other aspect of that that's been in free fall, who will be taken fourth overall in this draft? It was as high as, I can't remember what it was, Eddie, but like plus 260 or something, plus 380 for Will Levis to be in fourth overall a couple days ago. We've seen it trickle down all the way now to plus 100 for him to be taken fourth. So I say all that to say Ballard may or may not be referencing Will Levis, but I disagree with him. I, I think the deal is done. I think he's trying to punk us. Do you think I'm right on that, or do you feel like, eh, maybe there, it still is up in the air we should wait till draft night? Yeah, I mean, those are all terrific points that you make. I, I would love to see more of a post-kind of draft case study with gambling lines sure. in, in recent years. And I say that in all seriousness. Because uh, of games, it's easy. Like, at the end of a game, it's like, oh, wow, Vegas had it at six and a half. Whereas when the draft gets over, you only really care about your own team. So you're not really too plugged into like, hey, did they get that third pick right? Uh, <laughs> you know, you're just more worried about, you know, who your team selected. Yeah. Um, you know, who could be leaking that to the point that you were making earlier? I think that's a great question. I mean, I asked out. I'm like, oh, is everyone lying right now? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people that you would trust is lying, or is that people that are affiliated with teams that just want to see a C.J. Stroud drop, for example? The other question that I think is really fascinating is like, all right, let's fast forward to Wednesday night. You're one night before the NFL draft, the final sleep before the draft. Who inside the Colts organization will know who they want to pick at number four? Hmm. I could make the argument only two people will know, and that would be Chris Ballard and Shane Sykin. I could probably hear Jim Irsay on that list. You know, maybe Ed Dodds, maybe Jim Bob Cooter, maybe Morocco Brown, some people in their personnel department. But, you know, these teams, I think, realize how secretive they have to be. So just simply dropping straight-up lies is probably what they would like to do to try and get people to pivot or think otherwise. Now, again, to the Vegas point, yes, it is right a whole lot, and there's movement there that I'm not totally going to ignore. This is just me speaking from my own personal 
perspective on things. I probably heard early on a little bit more that Will Levis was a guy that there was some intrigue. I would think that I've heard from people that I trust that it's Anthony Richardson shouldn't be ruled out. So I said it this morning, and I'll say it again, I don't have strong conviction, and I apologize for that, but that means that I think the Colts are doing their job pretty well. And as a Colts fan, I think the biggest belief you should have is in Shane Steichen's quarterback history. And whether it's Levis, whether it's Richardson, or whether it's Stroud, I think you've got a quarterback guy that has handled different styles before and has developed them quite nicely. And that's what should give you hope heading into Thursday. What are the chances that Kevin Bowen is a part of that inner circle, knowing who they want at number four? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, probably better chance I play Augusta National here the next <laughs> week than that happening. Um, yeah, I, sure. I again, I would, I would love that, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think any of, you know, me or my colleagues Oh yeah. Uh, will have that information out. And I think Ballard, you know, pointed this out as well. I mean, like, he was asked, what do you think is going to happen at 1, 2, and 3? Or maybe it wasn't that direct. Maybe it was like, you know, do you have a good idea of what's going to happen at 1, 2, or 3? He's like, no, I have no idea what's going to happen at 1, 2, or 3. And he's going to have a whole lot more league connections around the league than, you know, Kevin Bowen will. So that's just a little bit part of the draft. Like, sure, part of my job is to try and, you know, find that information out, but it's not the end-all, be-all to me. I know you you, you and I have had this conversation, you know, Brian, Jimmy, certainly Eddie as well. You know, when the Pacers were on a week before the draft last year, Benedict Matherin stand on the table for him. I just mm-hmm. don't feel that way about my personal opinion on the Colts pick. And I certainly don't feel that way about me trying to gauge what the Colts are going to do. I really – I could see Will Levis. I could see Anthony Richardson. I could see C.J. Stroud. Do 17 players with first-round grades mean they're trading back? <laughs> um, <laughs> boy, that would get people to drive off the road on this Friday afternoon. I, I honestly kind of took it the other way, Jimmy, of – if it gets to 28, 29, 30 late on Thursday night and your Chiefs have their first-round pick, I assume they do. They do. Um, yeah, so, you know, you would be the only one maybe super caring at that point. Um, not long. Would the Colts trade back into round one? Would they trade mm-hmm. from 35 to 29 or 30? Uh, it's very anti-Chris Ballard. Let me make that very clear. Um, but – the thinking there would be if you have a premium player, maybe a corner, maybe a receiver, again, one of those 17 first-round grades the Colts have, there are some big advantages to drafting a guy in the first round. Look at how much money these wide receivers are getting paid these days. And look at what happened last offseason. What you saw there was you know, great second- and third-round wideouts cashing in early because – their rookie contract is only four years long. Whereas if you're a first-round pick, the team has a fifth-year option they can tag on mm-hmm. that four-year rookie contract. So the A.J. Browns and the D.K. Metcalf and the Terry McLaurins of the world and Debo Samuel, they all were great players. But the fact that they were great players drafted outside of round one meant that they got paid earlier. And so I think that is something you would need to think of of, hey, not only do you want to trade maybe back into round one to make sure you get a guy that you coveted, but also there is a financial component. It's going to cost you something, and you're looking a bit more down the road with that. But when you talk about paying wideouts or paying other premium positions, you're not just quarterback, 
I think there's a lot of advantages to doing that. He's KB, Kevin Bowen, joining us here on The Fan. Trying to figure out what the Texans are going to do at number two. And I just put this to- together, KB. I'm, I'm using the fear factor, right? Like, which would be a greater fear for the Texans as we're trying to piece together who they're going to select, which obviously has a ripple effect with the Colts at number four. And so I'm thinking, which is a greater fear for the Texans in your opinion? If they're looking there and they've got their rankings and let's say Bryce Young goes number one to the Panthers, is the fear of, hey, if we don't take this guy, fill in the blank, and we're wrong, is that the bigger fear than, hey, if we take this other guy and we're wrong oh boy like which do you think they're more fearful of having happen they they take a guy and he doesn't pan out or they they bypass a guy who does pan out yeah it's a good question um i i really haven't given that too much thought i i, I would say this i think they are just in a we can be pretty patient sort of situation. Whereas when you're seven years into the GM tenure of Chris Ballard, you don't feel that same amount of patience, nor do you have an additional pick at number 12 like Houston has, nor do you have a defensive-minded head coach. You have an offensive-minded head coach, and you don't have two first-round picks next year like Mm -hmm. Houston has. So Houston, I just think, is in a little bit of a different situation. Um and, you know, their franchise history, you can make the argument, sure, they've had this huge void at quarterback. That's certainly true. But also, you know, if they could get the next J.J. Watt, that would obviously appease a lot of the people probably within that organization. Hell, it would do that for a lot. So, I, so I, probably some general fear of, like, just the fact that the Colts sit there at four, the real fear factor would probably be you pass, the Colts get them, and for mm-hmm. the you know umpteenth year in a row, the Colts continue to do to the Texans what they've done for pretty much the entire existence of mm-hmm. the AFC South. So that's probably where more of the fear would come from. Uh, but I think it's fascinating to get into Houston. I know you guys had Aaron Wilson on earlier in the week, and you know he, he covers the Texans and made it pretty clear that he'd be surprised if they took a quarterback at two. You know Arizona at three, I think, is another one. You know, what will those trade offers look like for them? What will they look like if C.J. Stroud is on the table? You know, I think for a while there when Arizona has fielded the trades this offseason, C.J. Stroud maybe hasn't been a thought for trade-up teams. Um, and so I think when you throw in those two teams, you throw in Stroud, I think in particular you throw in the intrigue and the unknown of Anthony Richardson. Maybe it's because we're not used to being in this position with our local NFL team. Gosh, it just is so freaking maddening and fascinating and an unknown of where the Colts are at, what's going to happen above them, and how they will react to it. Treasure trove of picks available to them, eight picks in total. You think all eight are made, or you think there's going to be some wheeling and dealing, some trades once we get past the first round, just for the sake of argument? Let's say they take a quarterback there. We look at their second, third, fourth, two fifths, and two sevenths. Where do you see potential trades occurring, if at all? You know, something Ballard mentioned today is he feels like there are some guys that out of the fourth or fifth round that can be kind of starting level players in this league. They actually have an additional fifth. They have three fifths. They have their own. Um, and then they have the Naheem Hines and the Stephon Gilmore trade. Um, so I, I think when you look at that, you know, I know I just said to you, Jimmy, that, you know, what, what if the Colts trade back into round one? Now, as I said, that is extremely... 
extremely anti-Chris Ballard. I'm not saying they would do that, but it's just something that I think I'm curious about. Sitting there at 35, the third pick of the second round, you know, they're going to have whatever, 20-some hours to think about that selection, knowing who might be there for them. If you trade back from, like, 35 to 45, you're going to get an additional pick that's pretty premium, like maybe another third rounder or something like that, maybe another you know third and a fifth, something like that. And, and that is then Ballard's MO. I mean, I, I would have to look it up, but I'd be, I'd guess he's traded back in the second round, boy, at least three or four times in his draft history. I also am interested in this. Again, I think the only way for this to happen would be to trade back from number four, which obviously, again, I'm not trying to – you know, add to any car accidents on 465 this afternoon. But is there any thought of trying to get a 2024 first-round pick? You know, is there any sort of thinking there of, hey, let's try and get a little bit more ammo for next year? Again, I don't think that is the case, but I do think some teams have reacted in that in years past. Now, not teams that are as desperate as the Colts are for quarterback, but to answer your question, they've got nine picks. Uh, if I was a betting man, I would say that number is um, around 11 by the end of the uh, end of next Saturday. KB, you're the man. Hope you enjoy uh, the progressive music that you might be listening to on 465 today. <laughs> progressive music. Uh, yeah. yeah, something along those lines. But, uh, yeah, you boys have a great week. Jimmy? I need a bet. I need a bet to win this weekend. Give me, oh. give me something here. Where are we going NBA playoffs? He's got a lock. I don't know if he forgot I about it. I do have the lock. You're right. Thank you for that. It, it, it briefly escaped me because I'm put on the spot. Uh, over 28.5 total points won LeBron James tomorrow night. Got so excited ooh, about the ooh, bet. Ooh, ooh. Uh, tomorrow night, 10 o'clock, against the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, that's a nice Dylan Brooks bet, isn't it? It is a nice Dylan Brooks bet. You are correct. Yeah, okay. 28 and a half is a big number, but Dylan Brooks was chirping, so I like it. All right, boys. Have a great weekend. You too, Kevin. Uh, you too. There he is, Kevin Bowen. Kevin and Query here on The Fan. Some good stuff right there, man. Interesting. Um, yeah, you know, if we talk about, you know, flip that around because we've had this discussion, Jimmy, which is from a Colts point of view, who do you want the Houston Texans to take? Yep. We've kicked that around. My mm-hmm. answer is C.J. Stroud. Some disagree. That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to be surrounded by half the talent in the NFL initially that he was at Ohio State. No thank you. Hard pass for me. But but flip that around, Jimmy. From a Texans point of view, uh, you're sitting there at number two. If you bypass the quarterbacks that are on the board – and you go with the defensive player, as many people think they will. Let's say that you go with Will Anderson Jr. You play the game in reverse. Who do you want the Colts to have? If you're the Texans and you get to select which of the top quarterback prospects the Colts end up with, who do you want to face for the next five, ten years if the guy pans out? I'm going to answer the question slightly differently than I did yesterday because 
I, I while I love the the Will Levis like you know back and forth that we're having. Obviously, my tongue and cheek joke would be, "Ah, Will Levis," because uh, they could have anybody else. Why would they take that guy? I'm not going to do that here. If I'm the Texans, I would say anybody but C.J. Stroud. And the reason I would say anybody but C.J. Stroud for the Colts, like I'd be happy with them taking anybody else but him. So I'm saying who, like I'm not saying who I would like them to take so they fail. Mm. I'm saying who I don't want them to take for how it would look for us. Because there's a lot of pundits that view Young and Stroud as the two best in this class. Why wouldn't you take one of them if you had the opportunity to do it? And if the Texans don't take Stroud and they go with Anderson Jr. and then he falls to Indianapolis, that's who they take and he pans out, that will be yet another eyesore on what is a growing gallery of eyesores around the Houston Texans since they have been a franchise. My answer is the same. If I'm the Texans, I absolutely want the Colts to end up with C.J. Stroud. <laughs> I really do. I, I think the guy has dud written all over him. But my because, answer was different. It's not the same as mine. Because mine was I don't want C.J. Stroud to end up there. I told you I was answering the question a little differently. If yeah. I'm the Texans, I don't want him there. That's what I'm saying. But you're saying you do no, want no, him no, there yeah, because yeah, you yeah, think right, he's going right, to be right. bad. Right. right. Oh, so, so we do disagree. Yes. <laughs> we do. <laughs> I make sure. Ends. You're in the red corner. I'm in the red. Correct. I'm in the white corner. Like, whatever. Um, yeah. Um, I Yeah. Totally different. So I, if I'm the Texans, I want the Colts to end up with C.J. Stroud. Because, again, like, your supporting cast matters a ton, and he was surrounded by the best of the best. Literally, he's got at least four first-round wide receivers at a bare minimum surrounding him. Two of them already in the NFL, in Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. You've got Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba that are soon going to be first-round selections. He might have played with another dude that ends up in the first round as well. Right. You know, in Fleming or Abuka, like... It's, it's those are just wide receivers. Just, just wide receivers. You're gonna have a first round offensive lineman and a second round offensive lineman. Like to go from that to the NFL, it is going to be Slim Pickens in comparison for a bare minimum of two three years. And yeah, if I'm the Texans, I'm totally fine with. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Chris Ballard, knock yourself out with C.J. Stroud, like. Yeah, like that's amazing when you think about that. At the college level, Ohio State's skill position players, their wide receivers in particular, night and day yeah. compared to most NFL rosters, like in terms of their wide receiver talent. Not all, most. Certainly the Bengals have some great wide receivers. You could go team by team, but most uh, wide receiver cores in the NFL. Half the talent as the Ohio State the right. last two years. If I'm being optimistic towards the Colts as a whole, not towards C.J. Stroud, but as the Colts as a whole, you would look for, if you're a Colts fan, a bounce back year from this offensive line. I'm not telling you today it's going to happen, but you would hope that the money that you've invested in there, the, the growth for another year for Bernard Ryman that he's able to continue to develop into the left tackle, you're telling us he's going to be. Again, I... Still more remains to be seen with him. But you have so much money along this offensive line, you would hope they're able to bounce back and be one of the top lines in football like they were two years ago. If the, if we play that caveat of optimism, that receiver room's not that far off. They are a game-changing playmaker away oh. from being a competent level receiver room that I think could help grow a young quarterback. No. I really like Michael Pittman Jr. I'm expecting a big leap from Alec Pierce this year. Dude. Neither of them are number one wideouts. You find a number one for him, 
It's not Ohio State, but it's serviceable. At some point, I mean, his ability as a quarterback has to go into not your evaluation, but the general evaluation. He's not going to be playing with who Will Levis had. He's going to be playing with NFL wide receivers. Michael Pittman Jr. is a good wide receiver. I mean, he's good, but like core to core, the Colts are light years away. They're not even remotely close. Well, everybody and, is to Ohio State. Like you made that no, point. No, no, not everybody. No, I'll take the Bengals. I'll take Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. And I'll, sure. I'll take those dudes over, you know, uh, the 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 Ohio I should, State. I should core. I shouldn't have speak general. I should not have speak generally. Your yeah. overall point though is that majority of the NFL will likely never have the type of weapons that he had at Ohio <laughs> State. Right. Just not going to happen. And the yeah. only reason it happened for the Bengals, and it worked out for them, was they said, yeah, we don't need an offensive line. We're going to take one of the best wide receivers, you know, at least the track record he had his rookie year of all time, right? for our quarterback. We're going to get him the shiny Ferrari to throw to. Well, to me, it's like this. If we're comparing the Colts' core to Ohio State's wide receiving core, it's like, let's play a game of which would you rather have? You know what I mean? And, and, uh, well, but I'll make it as fair as possible, okay? And one, behind door number one, you've got Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, already in the NFL. Sure. And both were incredibly productive their rookie seasons. We already know that they're players in the NFL. And you also have Marvin Harrison Jr., who's going to be a stud next year, and we'll just sprinkle in a little Jackson Smith and Jigba seasoning for you right there. Like You've got those. Let's just stop with that. Abuka, Fleming, you can mention those guys as well. right? You've got that behind door number one. Door number two, you've got Michael Pittman Jr. Okay. You've got Alex Pierce. All right. And, and we'll give you two more years to really upgrade that wide receiver core right there. Like, which are you choosing? I'm confused why I'm choosing, though, because one is a collegiate recruiting class where you have a little bit more freedom to manipulate who you're bringing into your program. And another is based on draft positioning. I I don't understand what the point of the comparison is. Like, don't don't muddy the waters. I'm serious. I'm not trying to muddy it. What's the point? Because the obvious answer is Ohio State. No, the obvious the obvious answer is Ohio State. But what? Like, we weren't disagreeing on that. Right. It's just, that's what I'm saying is, for anyone who's like, well, I mean, Michael Pittman Jr.'s good, and Alex Pierce, it's like, okay, I'm not saying that they're duds, but in comparison to the talent, sure. the depth that C.J. Stroud has had at Ohio State, I'm just painting the picture, it's not even freaking close sure. to what the Colts have. Not remotely close. That's all. It's just for anyone who's like, I, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. is good, though. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not saying he sucks, but in comparison, core to core, not even freaking close. That's fair. I don't disagree with you on that. I've agreed with you on that throughout our entirety of our conversations. But the idea that Chris Ballard, regardless of who he takes, isn't going to try to get as many weapons as possible over the next two years for his quarterback is madness. It's madness and it's malpractice. Look at what the Bengals did. They did the same thing. They wanted to supply Joe Burrow with an otherworldly weapon, and they did it with Jamar Chase. They spent a premium pick to go do it. Like the idea that that can't happen for the Colts, I don't. I don't get why. why I never said it couldn't happen. That's why I gave you two years behind door number two. We'll give you a couple of drafts, and they can upgrade that talent. And who knows? Maybe they end up getting Marvin Harrison Jr. It's possible, depending on where they are in the draft. But I'm just telling you. It's going to be such a high bar to even come close to 
in terms of the talent that C.J. Stroud has had. That is such a tall task. Of course, they're not going to sit there and be like, yeah, we're, we're good with what sure. we got, right? Like, sure. Of course they're going to try to upgrade it. But the job of coming even remotely close to what he's enjoyed, tall task. And for Will Levis, if the defenses of him about not having wide receivers at a high level to be able to make up for the mistakes against him to help him read things better, if when you bring that talent in like the Colts will ultimately do, if they do that for him, and the other marks against him about his ability to read defenses and pick up blitzes are true, you're not going anywhere and you're going to be back in the draft in five years looking for the same position of need that you are right now. Hey, by the way, by the way, you and I spoke to Aaron Wilson a couple of weeks ago, and I remember specifically him saying, oh, the Texans are going quarterback here. All this talk about not going quarterback, they got to get the clock in motion here. Right, and then this week, totally different tune. That's as a guy as plugged in as it is, yep. as it can get with the Houston Texans, and that gives you a glimpse of how quickly things can change, and how we're just we're making our best educated guess Correct. as to what in the world the Houston Texans are going to do at number two. <laughs> I still have no idea. I, we were joking about that after the interview with Aaron Wilson. I was more confused after it than I was going into it <laughs> because I felt like I at least had a clarity of, okay, these are the options for the Texans. And then it turned into, well, Bryce Young was their guy. And uh, yeah, they're pretty much anybody. Uh, or If Bryce Young's off the board, we'll take anybody else than this quarterback class. That's where they're at now. So I don't know. I have no read on it anymore. For I, yeah, I, I, I think we've thought about it and overthought it and overthought it. And now we're just like, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going <laughs> to do at number two. But it's a huge, huge turning point for the draft. All right, Jimmy, you've got work to do. No chance to win a Super Bowl over the next three seasons. You've gotten into double digits. Okay, you've at least been keeping track. Good. Okay. I have been keeping track. We'll see if you can reasonably get to the 22-team threshold coming up next. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Okay, Jimmy, you've got uh, quite the task ahead of you. So on today's show, I threw it out there. There was a promotion around the Super Bowl a couple of months ago, and they were giving away tickets to the next three Super Bowls. And it got me thinking, as we're inching closer and closer to the draft, how many teams would you have on your list that over the next three years have no chance to win a Super Bowl? No chance, meaning if you're wrong, you lose every cent to your name. Your bank account is drained. You're starting from ground zero yet again. You know? Those are the stakes over here. Because it's easy. we got to put something on it. It's easy to say, oh, this team, no, no chance. No chance? No chance. So, okay, if you're wrong, you have no money. How about that? Okay? <laughs> so, on your list right now, I'll rattle them off here. You tell me if there are any corrections. Patriots, Ravens, 
Steelers, Titans, Texans, Colts, Broncos, Raiders, Cowboys was initially on the list, and then we put the stakes on there where you'd have no money if you're wrong. <laughs> you took the, the, the Cowboys off the list. You included the Giants, the Commanders, and the entire NFC South. <laughs> you had four teams there, so let's see. Two, four, six, eight, ten. You're up to 14 teams, Jimmy Cook. Okay. You want me to resume? You got some work to do over <laughs> here. Yep. Yep. What do you have here on the list? The Chicago Bears will not be winning a Super Bowl in the next three years. No chance for the Bears. No okay. chance for the Bears. All right. This I one, don't hate it. This one, this one's tough, but it has to be done. Are you not walking back the Dallas Cowboys win yet? We're gonna he wait. Did. I did walk it back then. We're gonna we're, wait and see we're, we're up we're to at. fifteen. We need seven more teams, Jimmy. The Jordan Love experiment will go nowhere. The Green okay. Bay Packers are not winning a Super Bowl in the next the, three years. I have no chance. They're on the to do list. So. Okay. We're up to sixteen. The Detroit Lions. Oh, Ooh. no chance. I have no chance to win a Super Ooh. Bowl. It sounded like you were uh, conflicted with that selection. It, it hurts a little bit because I love watching them play. They're very entertaining uh. to play, but we got to check emotions at the door while we're making this list. The Detroit Lions, not a part of that conversation. No, uh, no Jamison Williams for the first six games as yep. he was caught gambling. Yep. Not good. Yep. The, 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 the culture is getting rattled there by gambling <laughs> uh, in, in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at uh, the teams remaining in the league, and man, I'm seeing you You picked most of the NFC East. You took the entire NFC South. There's you rattled a- off a few of the teams in the North. There's not much left here, Jimmy. The Arizona Cardinals will not be winning a Super Bowl okay. in the next three years, even though his story was very inspirational, and I'm very happy he got paid. The Seattle Seahawks will not be winning a championship Ooh. in the next three years. Okay. And even though... They have an electric player, albeit aging, on the defensive end. The Los Angeles Rams will not be winning a Super Bowl in the next three years. Okay, let's see. Two, four, six, eight. All right, we're up to eight. Let's see. Two, (laughs) six. Sorry, the entire NFC South. (laughs) Eight, 10, 12. We're up to 20. You got the commanders on that list? Commanders were on that list. Yep, commanders are on the list. We need two more here, Jimmy. Even, even guaranteed money can't help this franchise. The Cleveland uh-huh. Browns will not win a championship okay. in the next three years. One more. We need one more. Who's it going to be? Fins up. <laughs> oh, this is harder than I thought it was going to be, I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I, will, I, will, I will tip the cap that it was significantly harder than I thought it was going to be. I will say the Miami Dolphins are on oh, that list, though. And wow. it pains me to do it. What's the reasoning there? Because I I hate to say this because I also I'm such a mm-hmm. feel-good guy. Mm-hmm. I want to see mm-hmm. people make good whether it's not able to stay healthy. Are we rolling on this, Eddie? Yep. Because uh, it sounds like oh, he's going to say some things about Tua that you could say about Bryce Young, who he's been defending. I want to hear this, Jimmy. What do you have? I think that the concussions mm. are going to catch up to Tua. Mm-hmm. I think he's one more of those away from maybe really thinking about hanging it up. Yeah. I don't think it ends. I think he, he, has, a, he has a full healthy life, but I don't think it ends with a successful NFL career the way he wanted it to be when he came out. So that's why the Dolphins are on there. Hey, man, sadly, might be right. It. I hope it I'm wrong that way. because yeah. they, they are much like the Lions and even more so 
one of the most electric offenses in football. And I love watching them on a weekly basis, but I'm a man of my word. I got to make the list. Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing. I think you're freaking crazy. Okay. How big was your list, by the way? You don't have to go through it, but how 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 many teams would you have set? I started it before the show. I got to four. Really? I got to four teams that I think, that, that if no I'm betting chance. all my money, have no chance to win a Super Bowl the next three years. I got to four. Who are the four? I had the Bears, the Texans, the Steelers, and the Patriots. The AFC is just a freaking gauntlet right now. And so to... Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a matter of semantics uh, to say there's no chance, no how. Uh, okay, like maybe the door is cracked ever so slightly, but you're confident saying I'm willing to risk every dime that I have in my bank account that these teams will not win a Super Bowl. I, I'm just not saying that about 22 of the 32 teams. There's, I'll, I'll put it this way, Jimmy. There's, I think there's almost no chance you're correct. Do me a favor. Uh huh. Read off the list of teams. I, I did not. I could do it actually. I'll give you the teams I did not axe off. Uh huh. I did the not. Vikings were an interesting. I did one. not axe off the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. I did not axe off the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. I did not axe off the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. I did not axe off the Cincinnati Bengals. Nor did I do yep. it for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nor the Kansas City Chiefs. Nor the Los obviously. Nor the Los Angeles Chargers. Nor the Philadelphia Ooh. Eagles. Yep. Nor the Minnesota Vikings. Nor the San Francisco 49ers. Yep. And look then, at that list of teams. And then we added the Cowboys back. And the to Cowboys the- are back. <laughs> Begrudgingly so. The Cowboys right. are back. Look at that list of teams as uh-huh. outlandish as my 22 might have been. And tell me when you look at that list of teams. No safety nets. No, I'll hold on to the Texans just on the off chance something pans out there. Mm-hmm. Look at that list of teams and tell me, you know what? I'm pretty comfortable they could also be the winners over the next three years. Well, that's a different conversation. Like you flipped it to it's likely that these teams will win a Super Bowl in the next three years. That's way different than these teams have no sure. chance to sure. win a Super Bowl over the next three years. Completely but, but it's different. The, okay, let me, let me rephrase it then. Okay. The power of those teams that I listed yep. are enough for me to say there's no chance for the others to win based on oh, where those no, teams no, no. are at right now. No. No, no. No. Okay. You're crazy. All right. How about this? And I, I swear I didn't set it up this way <laughs> okay. to get a bet out of you. <laughs> okay. But how about this? Over the next three years, I get these 22 teams over the next three years. You know I'm going to say no. You're going you're gonna to reach too high. You know I'm going to say no. I'm just starting to throw it out there, I right? Like, but, but you know I'm going to say no. You can name the bet. I get these 22 teams. If one of them wins a Super Bowl over the next three years, you owe me whatever we bet. As long as we both agree on the terms, I'm down. That's fine. Okay. What sure. do you think the terms should be? I think that that's something that we will announce once we have it, but it's not something we should waste a segment of airtime trying to debate what it should be. It doesn't have to be anything be. crazy. I, it could be a dinner. You owe me a freaking dinner, Jimmy Cook, you know? I will. I will uh, I'll, any steakhouse, your choice. We'll go. We'll go okay. St. Elmo's. We'll go wherever you want to go. Oh, we'll, we'll go. all right. We'll I go. like that. Very nice. Okay. And the same in reverse. Yep. If uh, all these teams, and it's so funny. With, well, real quick, though, because I don't know where you're at in my life, but also because I'm going to have a kid at some point in time uh-huh. with a with a Whoa. 250 ending tab. 
max on it. $2. I don't want you to make this like a rookie dinner where all of a sudden you're buying bottles of wine that runs up a $20,000. No, I, would never do I know that. you wouldn't, but hey, just man, for the I, caveat. I appreciate the let's get the I's dotted, the T's crossed. I want everything. Fine. I want everything there. Yeah, yeah. no problem. Uh, that's a healthy tab. Is that for both of us or just like one side? I, what? For one side? Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll say for both of us because yes, that's I, I feel like we both had to be very aggressive totally in fair. both the alcohol and the food department. Uh, oh, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that sure, to yeah, you. So, yeah, but, sure. but how about this, Jimmy? You know what's interesting about this whole exercise? Because I'm going to need a drink because that'll met you're right, and I'm going to need a strong one <laughs> after that. So you're looking at your 10 teams, yep. and you're like, man, there very well could be a team not on my list of 10 sure. that wins a Super Bowl over the next three years. Yep. I'm looking at my list of 22, yeah, and I'm like, who from this list is going to win it all? Right? Like, who, who's it going to be? Who's your front runner of that list? Of right your now? 22? Yeah, yeah, this is not a bet. This is just who do you feel the most confident in of the 22 teams I gave you? <sighs> the injury thing with Tua just changes it completely. Like, I love the Dolphins roster. They're in go-for-it mode. You add Jalen Ramsey to a team that won nine games last season, and Tua missed five. Yeah. That's a lot of talent that they have. So I think the Dolphins are in the mix. You know, if, if Deshaun Watson, I know no one wants to hear this, but if Deshaun Watson goes back to his previous form on the field, if he looks like the Deshaun Watson of old, the yeah. Browns have a sneaky good roster. They, 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 I, I look. I'm not saying I have like regrets, but there were tough decisions that were made. That's the whole path of logic. Once they signed him, that I thought about is I've always thought Deshaun Watson was a high level at the peak of his short tenure here in the league to this point. Belonged in that same conversation of the Mahomes and the Burrows of the world just two years ago. You think about that epic playoff duel that him and uh, Mahomes had in the divisional. You think of that battle him and Josh Allen had. I think it was Josh Allen that was there in Buffalo at that point in time in the wild card round. So, yeah, yep. that, that, but hey, decisions were made. Decisions were made. <laughs> decisions were made. I'm not saying I have no regrets. Like, I, I get it. 22 teams is a lot of teams, but hey, you know, uh, the I other said what team, I said. What's interesting, too, is. Uh, the Seahawks. The Seahawks had a, a very surprising season. Mm-hmm. I want to know if they go quarterback this draft because if they start the clock at QB, that could be an interesting team. In that conference, you know, if you can emerge from the NFC, just get in the Super Bowl, anything could happen. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. Fancy steak dinner on the line there. That was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed that. It was a blast. All right. Coming up next, an epic player poll. And Jay Cook's got some locks for you. That's on the way. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. You know, there was a, a poll taken the NBA player poll from The Athletic, the 2023 edition. So 108 current players were recently surveyed for this thing, Jimmy. And there are a couple of interesting takeaways here. One was, <laughs> for the greatest player of all time, Jordan had the most. He had the highest percentage, about 58%. LeBron had 33%. At 1%, Bill Russell. And another guy at 1%, Tracy McGrady. What? 
as the GOAT. I don't. They didn't even have a write-up for the reasoning with the one player who voted for Tracy McGrady as the greatest of all G-Mac. time. Yeah. Oh, man. What was also funny, so they had the most overrated player vote, and receiving one vote was Tyrese Halliburton. Hmm. But they also had the most underrated player, and also receiving one vote was Tyrese Halliburton. Hmm. So he was on both lists right there. The Conspiracy. Guy who, he voted for himself on yeah. both those to, to keep people guessing. The uh, leader of the most overrated, Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks, had about 15% of the vote. Also, uh, Julius Randle and Pascal Siakam had 7.4% apiece. Kind of interesting right there. The most underrated player, Drew Holiday of the Bucks. Yeah, I would he had agree 17.5. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then our guy, SGA, Shea Gilgis Alexander, mm-hmm. about 11% of the vote. Um, I love this too is uh, who in the league would you least like to fight? And so James Johnson, Ooh. he is uh, at the top of the list right there. <laughs> top of the list. And I love this quote nobody messes with James Johnson. <laughs> Does it tell you who's at the bottom? Do they go that far? Like No, who? well, it has uh, Marcus Smart is at the lowest. They had a bunch of other players at 1% just getting one vote each. Uh there's Jimmy Butler, Michael Carter Williams, yeah. DeMar DeRozan, Draymond Green, Montrez Harrell, Brooke Lopez, Boban. Someone doesn't <laughs> want to fight Boban Marjanovic. Uh, Marcus Morris Sr., Markeith Morris, uh, the Morris brothers get on there. Bobby Portis, Dennis Schroeder, Isaiah Stewart, P.J. Tucker. That's that's the list right there. Lindy Waters. I don't even know who Lindy Waters is. You got to vote. Uh, last one here on the player poll. He's on the Thunder. He's on the Thunder. Do you know that because you bet SGA overs there, Oh, uh, no. I watch a lot of the Thunder when the Pacers aren't playing. That's fun how team. I do that. Fun yeah. team there you go. There you go. Very nice. How about this? You're building a roster from scratch. Who are you going to sign first? And Giannis had the overwhelming majority, about 52%. Jokic was second with under 9%, followed by Luka. You know who's fourth on this list? Steph Curry. Mm. He's at right about 6%. He's 35. (laughs) (laughs) Who is signing Steph Curry to start their franchise from scratch? It's one of those where I was intrigued where he was going to end up and also where like LeBron or somebody like that would end up who had been the leader of that list for so long. Kevin Durant probably in that same category. Where are they at now? Where's the new age at? That's, that's fascinating. You know, real fast story. I was doing radio in Fresno, California. This is about 2007. For some reason, we had the same question. I was working with Chris Haynes at the time, who's doing sidelines and all that fancy stuff now. And we had the same question. And my co-host at the time said Steve Nash. And he was probably about the same age around 35 and we're like what are you talking about you wouldn't take lebron lebron's still playing how long has nash been retired that's just a a terrible vote to go with steph curry we got to get to your picks over here jimmy let's do it the jay cook plays of the day this is me all right i'm not a athlete this is my way this is how i win today's plays of the day first in baseball gonna take the yankees on the money line over the blue jays also gonna take the astros on the money line over the braves that's minus 135 and minus 105 respectively there in terms of their action <laughs> yeah gonna take go. the denver nuggets on the money line minus 135 over the timberwolves Cavs over the knicks plus 110 over 29 Ooh. and a half total points for donovan mitchell lay the five and a half for the boston celtics three three and one yesterday 10 eight and two on the week you are brave over here going with the uh, the road favorites. 
when it is desperation time for the Timberwolves, the Knicks, the, the Knicks over there. I, I kind of like it, but that's bold right there, Jay Cook. <laughs> Did you not include LeBron just now? He's he's a weekend, but yes, over 28 and a half. I was wrong. Remember, he doesn't play till tomorrow night, so not plays yeah. for today. But weekend plays, future cast, over 28 and a half for LeBron James. Are we Brian. talking multiple units for LeBron? Yes. Yes. The house. Go crazy. Splurge. JMV coming up next. Have a great weekend. We'll see you.